welcome to episode 25 of God's Own Scale podcast. This is the Christmas special. Uh, I'll let you decide once you've listened to it how special it is, but hopefully uh, the three A-list guests that I've got with me tonight will make it so and bring some festivity and seasonal cheer into your homes. I've got three people that I've had on the podcast before, um, and I'm really grateful that they've taken time out of their individual schedules to join me and have a chat about toy soldiers this close to Christmas. Um, I've got Pear, Alex, and Dan. So it's Pear Broden, Alex Sutherland, Dan Hodgson. Um, Pear, hello. How are you? Merry Christmas. Oh, hello. Thank you. I'm I'm really well, thank you. I uh, I'm sitting here, kind of enjoying the. The, the rain pouring down instead of nice snow I would have in Sweden being kind of isolated on on these islands. But never mind. Uh, this is about positivity. So let's talk about that, that today. Yeah. It's a bit of a third-rate Christmas, isn't it, really, when you just got a drizzle outside. Yeah, but, but you know, there's no shame in that. Yeah? So we, we, are, we are safe and not sorry here, so that's very good. Yes, very good. Well, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me again, yeah. No worries. Uh, Dan, welcome back. Thanking you. Nice to be back. It's uh, almost, well, it's over a year, I think, since I was on. I think it is. Yeah, episode six. So it's uh, a lot's happened, hasn't it, in that year? <laughs> I poked my head out of the uh, painting studio for five minutes and somebody said something that I, yeah, I've ignored most of it. It's, it's like the zombie apocalypse has gone on while she's been painting. I know, I know. <laughs> <laughs> but welcome back and thanks, thanks for giving up your time. You're the only caller on the on the call who's uh, drinking some real spirits, I believe. Well, yeah, I've uh, I thought I'd get into the spirit of Christmas with a nice hard bag actually, which uh, takes me back to my fortieth. I went cycling around Scotland to the islands, and we went to Isla. A lovely wee dram. <laughs> and finally on the call, last but no means least, we've got Mr. Alex Sullivan. Hello, Alex. How are you? I'm good, thank you. And you? <laughs> I'm great. <laughs> I'm continue drinking council pop. <laughs> As we've already said, water to those uninitiated to the Yorkshire ways. Well, uh, down my way, it was always called corporation pop, but yeah. uh, it's, it's the same principle, isn't same it? Thing, same thing, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. ice and a slice in it. Uh, no, I haven't gone that far. I'm not that fancy. It's <laughs> a bit too posh. <laughs> yeah, too right. posh for this podcast. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, all good here. Like you said, um, it's been, what was it, about April time or something, wasn't it, when uh, I was on before? Yeah, uh, a bit later than that, mate, actually. I'll, I'll go into that. But, uh, uh, yes, the podcast resurrected and, and found its legs again, I think, around about June time. So probably just after that, I think. Well, this year has been so difficult to understand what's going on anyway. I completely lost track of time. So, <laughs> Yeah, I think we all have, mate. We all have. Um, just on that note, actually, um, Dan was the last guest on the show before I took that uh, extended lost weekend period for seven months. So hopefully, Dan, you're not a, <laughs> a bad omen and I disappear again for another seven months. Let's hope not, no. Although I did go to the Hammerhead show uh, in in March, and, of course, that was pretty much the last of the big shows. There were no more shows after that. So maybe, maybe I do jinx these. Yeah. 
<laughs> These things come in threes, mate. <laughs> um, but uh, actually, it's, uh, thanks to Pear, who's on the call, and, and Peter Berry, that actually managed to pick up the microphone and, and get broadcasting again. And actually, this is this episode is the 18th episode since that resurrection. So uh, thank you, Pear, for... Uh, uh, taking the time to reach out to me and encourage me back. Yeah, we missed you when you're away, and and uh, I'm really happy you've been back, and and you've been really busy, and and I think brought some really nice people on your show. Some some people that we never kind of heard about before, you know, well heard on on a podcast, but we knew about, and I, I think that's quite great, you know, like Heroics and Ross, for example. Uh, was, was I never listen to them before regular miniatures etc you know so it's it's been really good to kind of get that you know we, we heard peter a few times and i don't mind listening to him uh but it's nice to kind of get a little bit wider 2d6 as well you had on the show and and you know, so i think you're doing really well and there's perhaps a few missing there from your uh bucket list but uh, i think you're doing well yeah i'm certainly making the effort to reach out to people. There's one or two people, I think, who are perhaps a bit nervous about coming on uh, to the microphone, but I'm sure all three of you can attest to the fact it's not too bad uh, once you get going. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it's. Uh, I like to have that balance of speaking to people from the industry and also some of those gamers who perhaps haven't had a voice before um, across the airwaves. Having listened to podcasts for years now, um, you, you do tend to get the, the sort of hobby leaders, as I would suggest, who are the, the regular people to appear on these shows. And that's not to say that's a bad thing. It's absolutely great and it, it's good listening. But also, I like the idea of reaching out to some of these people who haven't perhaps had the opportunity to speak across the airways before and, and get across their views and opinions about this wonderful hobby of ours, this, this broad church of a hobby that I think has kept all of us sane over the last year that has been 2020 yeah i'd like to second i'd like to second what Pear said then uh it's it's been really great while i've been painting i uh i have the podcast on and listen to like Pear says all these people who i've known for years around the show circuit uh but uh yeah it's good to listen and, and get another take on things so uh keep it up keep it up and i'm one of those people who who um didn't have a voice on these. I mean, I thought a podcast was something to do with fishing. So, <laughs> yeah, no, I'd certainly, certainly echo that as well. You know, I'm, my my listening habits have completely changed. You know, I've just been listening to your back catalogue of of uh, of interviewees, really, and it's fantastic to do like like Dan said. Then, just as you're painting, really, it's just something nice to have while you're surrounding yourself with hobby, really. It's great, you know, and long may it continue, I think, Sean. Yeah, I think, to be honest, and thank you for those comments, they're very kind. I don't I do not do compliments very well, but thank, thanks for those. But what I like to think of it is, as though it's a couple of mates having a chat down a pub about a hobby that we all enjoy, and pretty much every war gamer that I know of can sit and talk for hours about this hobby because it's so many and varied, isn't it? There's so many disciplines within the hobby. It's not just playing the... In fact, playing the games is probably the smallest part of it, actually, ironically, um, for the hours of painting, research, and all the rest of it that we do. But, um, yeah, 
let's let's hope things continue. On that note, just talking about how bad this year has been, 2020, uh, with the uh, COVID crisis and one or two other things going on, I thought it'd be good as a podcast of positivity, perhaps just have a look back at the year and pick out some positives from it. Because looking back in two, three, four years' time, hopefully when this is all behind us, we can perhaps uh, reflect on how we coped with this year and how we got through it together uh, across various platforms and medias um, and, and pick out those positive points that we've seen. So I've asked each of you uh, to come up with three positives uh, for the year and we'll, we'll take one of you each in turn. Pear, can you give me your first positive of the year 2020, please? Oh, no, sir. I've gone completely wrong. <laughs> I've gone way off schedule. Oh, you want drinking spirits? It's your show, but come on, go for it, yeah? Take any one you like, yeah? Uh, <laughs> right, okay, let's rewind. <laughs> I'm not editing this out, it's staying in. No plans to voice contact with the enemy. <laughs> it's so big build-up going on, come on, now we can't. Bought now, yeah. This is like Death Star almost there, targeting <laughs> and you're not going to shoot, yeah. What are you doing? <laughs> you yeah, thought after 25 episodes, I might learn to follow my own show notes, but <laughs> well, shall we go straight? Shall we do 2020? Yeah. Let's do 2020, yeah. yeah. Let's do it, let's do it. We're all hopped already. Then we'll move on to the good stuff. Can I start then? Shall I start? Yes, okay. Yes, so sure. basically, I, I my best 2020 and uh, you know all the other stuff with the children getting this and that but from from a gaming perspective or hobby perspective was the charity project that i had this little idea that i was going to do something in because we couldn't go to joy of six and i thought that what about if we painted an army together with some people and uh I talked to peter about it and and this is the charity project which i i think i talked about at the last show Yes, but basically, there's over fifty people who contributed their time of painting one base worth of uh, six millimeter miniatures, either an infantry or a horse unit. So either nine horse or, or twenty four infantry, and uh, they all sent it in to me, and I based it up, and and I have these two fantastic armies, and I'm so happy that people, you know, really, you know, take a chance on me on doing this, yeah. This, and and I, I thought that in, in terms of uh, so, so in terms of the, the best thing I've done. So so we're now in a situation where because of the, the idea was that COVID would go away uh, early, you know, earlier than than perhaps I, I, now it's happening. And the idea was to try to get this battle, you know, this armies out and fight a little bit on the show circuit. Unfortunately, there hasn't been much of a show circuit. So, so I've talked to everyone who's been involved. I sent out communication and said that we're planning on trying to get this army sold, uh, so, well, raffled out next year, end of next year. But be between now and next year, we will do a little bit of a booklet that will present these armies. There are two fictitious countries, basically, an imaginations kind of thing, and loosely based on Russia and Sweden. Very, very hard-based, actually, not loosely. And uh, to do a little booklet that maybe it can find a way to sell that as a little book, uh, imaginations book. 
and then to do some battles uh, with it uh, at a real war game show. So I don't want to get rid of the two armies until we had it to one war game show at least. Uh, that is for me one of the biggest things: the people coming together during uh, during lockdown and helping with that. That's my first one. That, that was a, a pretty amazing project, pair. And I think when we spoke, uh, it was actually the first podcast back on the air. Um, and it, it was pretty much still in the in the planning phase, wasn't it? I don't know if Peter had sent out the figures at that point. Yeah, I, I'm not sure. I was a little bit nervous because obviously I, I, I didn't want to stand there like an idiot having kind of five people having kind of launched out to the idea. But I actually ended up uh, getting people who wanted to be involved afterwards. So I sent out a few kind of bonus uh, bases and so on. So I think we have a few kind of, you know, we have had, you know, everyone you could imagine, you know, in uh, involved in people who are normally painting 28 miniature, sorry, 28 mil miniatures, you know, fantastically. I've kind of sat down and, and painted six mil fantastically too. We have, you know, all of you guys have contributed a, a base each, for example. And and it's been really nice. I mean, there's a few things in retrospect that I wish we would have more of, perhaps, you know, perhaps a little bit of a wider range of, of people actually, you know, painting it. I, I feel that, you know, perhaps it could have been more younger people or perhaps different gender than being male and, and uh, you know, in their 40s, 50s. Yeah. But that's perhaps the target for next time I do it to kind of spread it a little bit. But uh so, uh, yeah, it's a good, really good, interesting project, to be honest. Mm. I think the amazing thing was that it, it, it came off that out of all those people that you, you put a, a mail shot out and you'd say who would be interested. Yeah. And I know one or two extra people joined a little bit later, but it, it came off, didn't it? People return, got those figures and got them painted and, and got them back to you. Well, it was fantastic. And, and the small little notes people wrote of encouragement and thank you and, and etc. And also, I kind of, I could probably write a PhD now in how middle-aged blokes pack miniatures when they say, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, and uh, I'll tell you what, very tight in toilet paper taped around is quite a popular one, yeah? Where, where, where there is no chance, there's no chance that the miniature gets uh, destroyed during, uh, you know, transit. But when it gets opened, you know, it's probably a ninety percent chance you damage it. Not that I did <laughs> any of that, but that was my biggest learning experience from it. Yeah. So there you go. This is this is what this is why people were panic buying loo rolls. Yeah. <laughs> or, or, or maybe. All those figures that were packing up here. <laughs> well, I, I just thought they were sitting there next to this bloody mountain of Luros thinking, why the hell did I buy all those? Yeah. <laughs> I just need to kind of frenetically wrap it around something, you know? Well, I suppose at least it kept you in Lou Rolls as well when they did arrive. Well, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so, so, Dan, so Dan, what, Dan, what did you pack yours in, mate? What did you pack yours in? Do you remember? Yeah, Lou Roll. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I can't remember. But it's funny, isn't it? I mean, I always love getting figures from Adler because they're just wrapped in this lovely little tissue. Not toilet roll, but a tissue. Yes. It, you know, that's real old school stuff, that is. Ian, 
Ian, Ian from Irregular, of course, he wraps his like fish and chips in newspaper. You get the York news, don't you? About yeah. four days ago. <laughs> you do. <laughs> it says quite a lot about the company, doesn't it? You know, what, what, what the things in. Brilliant. Yeah, but he normally sends them about the same day he, you do the order. So you get, you know, the, and you get fresh news as well, you know? Oh, I got mine from Ian before I'd even ordered them. <laughs> my, 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 it, was another, it was another 50 wigwams teepees so he kind of he knew what to send he knew what to send now he just sent me 50 that's brilliant Alex what was yours in mate uh, mine would have been a toilet roll as well I think oh. <laughs> Sorry, you old geese as you <laughs> I think I think I had some lovely uh, upholstery foam that I'd wrap nine in. I think mine was quite posh. Woo! <laughs> get you. <laughs> I found it in the loft when when went up there when I moved in the house. <laughs> so God knows how long it had been up there. Oh God! Right. Um, thanks for that pair for your uh, number one. That that yeah, I, I take my hat off to you about that because joking aside, uh, to pull that off. Um, with the intention uh, of supporting a charity was just uh, amazing. It's certainly one of my highlights of the year following the development of that. Because obviously you still had some still had some hard work to do because you did all the basing. Yeah, but you, you know, I, I I think I proved over the last few days here that I I've done a few bases in my life. So <laughs> yes, <laughs> it's not really it's not no it, it's a pleasure. And as I said before, the reason for do, me doing the basses was was basically to because that is the trick. That's really the trick. It's you know, otherwise it would have not worked. But yeah. So yeah, that was not hard work. That was a pleasure, and it was nice to see. And okay, okay, one thing, another experience from it is that when you deal with someone else's miniatures, it's a little bit like, you know you suddenly get, you come and see people and they got a new baby and suddenly they stuck that baby in front of you, you know. And I have three children and I cannot hold a baby that isn't mine, you know. I'm a bit scared almost, yeah. Yes. And, and uh, it's a little bit the same because I get these miniatures and first having to get them out of the, you know, bloody toilet roll, yeah, and, <laughs> and not damaging them, yeah. And there was one or two I actually kind of, you know, damaged at some point and you kind of tried to fix them, yeah. But then just the fact how you kind of, Suddenly, it becomes like a, almost like a job to do this basis for these people, you know, because I, I still feel that this is not like, you know, I, I have to do it. So, so that was perhaps the hardest. I kind of started almost taking it almost like some kind of religious ritual of making sure that I, because occasionally half my basis is full of, you know, glue and grass on the individuals, if you look carefully. But these ones are probably the best one ever, you know. Yeah. No, it's certainly, as you've said, I think in 6 mil in particular, uh, if the basing is consistent, then that's half the trick, I think, with uh, making 6 mil look good. Um, okay, thanks for that number one there. Uh, Dan, what is your first highlight of 2020? Well, my first highlight of 2020 would be, and I do apologise for repetition here, He's taking the wind out of his sails because I was going to say, Pears Project. Um, I thought 
I thought you were brilliant. I mean, it was such a, it's such a simple, it's one of those things where you hear about it and you think, why has nobody done that before? I mean, of course that's what people want to do, just paint a, you know, paint some miniatures, send them in. I mean, obviously I painted 10,000 Hodgevin's Hodge Dragoons, um, but I only sent pair nine of them, but I couldn't, couldn't bring myself to only paint nine figures. I thought it was just the whole idea of it, really, and especially with all the bad news going on, the fact that we could all paint up some figures, send them off, and then it's going to go for charity. I mean, I'd love to have a game with it. I would love to see them all set up and have a game. But Yes, me too. It'd be love, wouldn't it be great if, if everybody who painted a unit could get together around the table and play their own unit? It'd be mad. I'm looking forward to hearing our Hodgevin's Dragoons. Um, sorry about the pronunciation there. Oh, it's terrible. It was great. No, that's that's my that's one of my real positives of uh, otherwise, you know, pretty dodgy year. Yes, certainly has been. And uh, yeah, I echo those comments. Uh, thanks for that, Dan. Uh, Alex? Uh, similar, really, I suppose. Uh, being part of Pear's project was great, uh, but to, you know, rather than just to, to say the same thing as everybody else has so far, I mean, I think you know one of the the main things I did, I actually cleared out a lot of my lead mountain this year, uh, just because I didn't have the, uh, the the commute to work or anything, and then you know I was working from home, so very hard to roll out of bed and you know get onto your desk rather than having to drive for an hour and a half to go to the office, you know, so I had plenty more time to do stuff. And, uh, you know, getting involved with Pairs Project was part of that, really, just being able to, to paint up some uh, things for that. I came into it quite late on. Uh, I think it was the second round I managed to get in on that. But prior to that, I'd just literally just been pulling all the figures out of my lead mountain and just finishing them off, really. And then I got to a point where I'd actually almost finished it but now he's back to being a mountain again because I've just been buying stuff ever since. <laughs> this is the way. <laughs> it wouldn't be any other way, would it, really? <laughs> no, no, no. Um, we like it, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. We keep, the, we keep the hobby afloat. That's it, that's it. Just keep going to think, well, the money is going into somebody else's pocket, isn't it, and keeping them going. Yeah, exactly. Well, I, I'm really glad that there's a consensus on that because um, it was such a, a big highlight of the year for me. And um, I think in particular for me, it was about the fact I'm painting something that I wouldn't ordinarily paint. It's a, it's a period I've never painted figures in. Uh, that I know, and, and I appreciate it's an imagination, but it's certainly based in, in, in historical fact. And uh, it, it got me painting some new figures that uh, I'd not experienced before. But, uh, yeah, that's good. I like that. Um, my first one is actually uh, Twitter in that I know, Dan, that uh, you aren't a tweeter. You might struggle to get it on your Nokia 3310 or whatever it is that you've got. This is the problem, you see. Yeah, I don't have the technology to uh, do that. <laughs> yeah, but... Twitter this year has been a real revelation for me. I've always dipped in and out of it um, and, and lurked, I guess, and, and followed various people within the hobby. And I, I principally use it for hobby. In fact, it's almost exclusively hobby now, uh, having got my fingers burnt a couple of times previously when I perhaps liked a, a political post that then starts an absolute shitstorm of... Um, 
of comments. Um, and it's really not worth getting into, is it? So I've certainly avoided anything outside of the hobby, but that, that little corner of the hobby that we, we populate, and I know Alex and, and Pear, you're both uh, regular tweeters. I mm. think that's the, the right phrase. Yeah. Um, <laughs> there are other words you could use for us, but let's do with tweeters for now, shall we? <laughs> but I, I, I just think it, it's been inspirational for me to follow people's hobby. And I do this on Facebook as well, but less so. Uh, Daniel, probably one of the main people that I follow on, on Facebook, but on Twitter, you've got that instant, almost instant feedback. You get discussions going almost in, in real time. Um, when uh, a point of interest within the hobby comes up, then you're, you almost, you're almost straight into a conversation. And on top of that, there's the ability to spread word about your own projects and, and get uh, feedback on it and it, there's a little bit I suppose where you, you're looking for some you, you want some of that positive feedback to give you some encouragement to carry on and certainly that's my experience that nobody gives negative feedback on on pictures that you post of your figures it's all it's all good stuff yeah it's micro blogging isn't it really yes yeah you know you you you're constricted by the characters, so you've got to get things in pretty snappy. And, and like you say, I think it's great for, for the encouragement it gives as much as yeah. it uh, And it's a great way of spreading the word, isn't it? I know for your YouTube channel, for the podcast, um, Pay, I know in the past you've used it to talk about your blog and, and point people towards your own blog. Um, but I just think it's been such a positive influence on the hobby this year. I don't know what you think yourself there, Pear. Well, I, th I think it's it's great because you can kind of, for me, as, you, as as was stated before, it's kind of a little bit of a microblogs. And it's quite difficult to keep, I mean, I write a blog and I, it's a little bit kind of half dormant. I, I have written so few this year, but it, it takes quite a lot of effort to write a blog, you know, and because you have to kind of sit there and I have probably about 25 kind of half cooked, uh, you know, blog that I haven't finished yet because I feel like they're missing this and that. But Twitter, as you say, allows you to kind of just, just throw out something. And I quite enjoy it. And, and it kind of, it stimulates you to do the same. So first, as you say, you, you're there, you're looking and you try to follow people and so on. And you realize that there's so many, you know, normal guys like yourself are just trying to kind of have a little bit of, you know, extra, you know, time we have and do a little bit of, of painting and so on. I mean, it's not, you know, there's a wide range of people and it's quite nice that everyone seems to be you know in, in a way uh behaving you know and it's quite you know rarely you get something and and of course i try to you know i have my views about you know whether boris Karloff is the best you know pm or whatever uh, and uh you know and perhaps i don't kind of talk so much about it you know at twitter because i feel i'm not there for that you know uh and and really i'm not i'm not into politics to that view but of course you know there are things that i get irritated and hurt about but but i guess it's you know i don't really care I, I don't really go through who follows me or whatever or blocks you know if you know and and you know maybe i should or whatever but i'm, I'm kind of i don't feel like that's what twitter is i think it is you can pick and choose who you follow you know and, and if someone wants to follow me fine i might not kind of want to follow them that's kind of that's not necessarily the deal you know yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, 
Alex, I think you found it quite a positive experience, haven't you, from what I can see? Um, yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I, I started on Twitter a few years ago, and it was kind of a personal one, and and I, I, I kind of got swamped by the politics and things on it. I mean, I'm, I'm very interested in politics. I you save it for Facebook because I say I see that more as my people I know face to face, whereas Twitter more like you know you're putting it out because obviously on Facebook you can set it to see who can see your your things and things. Whereas with Twitter, it's a bit more more open. I know you can set it so. You know, it's, it's it's a closed thing, but I feel that it's more of a, a, a you know a bullhorn approach kind of thing, really. You know, you're putting stuff there, and I and I when I first started with the hobby Twitter, I was kind of only really just putting up links to my blogs and stuff, and not really interacting much. And it took me quite a while. I talked to my wife about this, and she, uh, you know, she spoke about really told me about you know just interacting with people and and starting off conversations or joining in with ones that are going on. And and I've found that has absolutely transformed my Twitter experience over the last year. Uh, in in that you know the, people do start to interact more back with you. You know what I mean? And you 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 get more of a presence on there if that's the kind of thing you're after. And for my YouTube channel, it's been fantastic because there's been such a positive response to videos that I put out. And like Pear said, I mean, you know, so far, pretty much everybody has behaved themselves. There's, uh, there's been a, on the occasion that I've had to block a couple of people, uh, but it's, you know, it's been so, so few and far between that it's not even a, an issue, really. Uh, the, you know, I don't think I've really had any any major negative negative experiences on it i think it's, it's a great platform for wargaming there's a great wargaming uh community on there that is active and interested and supportive and that you know what more can you ask for really yeah yeah it's, kind of like, um, it's, like, it's like forums used to be sorry just to to carry on blabbing on <laughs> it's like you know how forums were like 10 years ago they've kind of fallen a bit to the wayside and now it seems like you know twitter is the place to be if you want your hobby stuff. Interesting. I mean, <clears throat> I obviously am not on Twitter. Um, and I don't think my partner would be very happy if I did go on, because, I mean, I spend, you know, 18 hours a day painting as it is, and then an hour putting photos on Facebook. And there's only so many hours in a day, even though I live on Mars and I've got an extra hour every day. That's what some people think. Anyway. But I mean, so I'm, I'm maybe I'm missing a trick. To, but, um, I know Facebook is um, you can often get into all sorts of little shenanigans with people. But I've not I've found actually three years now I've been on it, and um, basically I, I talking about blogs. I I did a blog on a website, but like you say, Per, I, I just couldn't. I didn't keep up with it. It wasn't the same, and there weren't many people on it. People didn't see it. There were no traffic on it. So I thought, well, I'll just have a Facebook page. I won't use it for for actual friends and family. I'll I'll use it for a, a sort of, um, almost like a business thing for me painting. But it's turned into something else actually. And I've got about coming up to four thousand people now on there, and it's great. You can put a silly post on. I put one on yesterday about Dunelm when I was trailing around Dunelm. And saw this uh, fabric table where they cut the curtains, and I thought that's a brilliant war game table. So I put a photo of that on, you know, and I've had hundreds of responses. It's great, and it it does. You get that discussion as well. So 
but uh, yeah, I don't I don't think there's enough hours for me to to do Twitter, but maybe I should have a well, uh, Dan, for the amount of photographs that you post on on Facebook, I would agree with you. Stick to Facebook because uh, there aren't twenty five hours in the, in the day, unfortunately. And uh, uh, I very much enjoy following uh, your post your posts on there. But uh, just to echo what Alex and Pear have said, it, Twitter is just it's a bit like for me. It's a bit like sitting down the like this blog, uh, podcast. It's a bit like sitting down the pub and just seeing what people are getting up to and 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 catching up on the hobby and uh, occasionally there'll be there'll be a point of interest that'll come up that we may talk about later uh, that certainly has happened over the last couple of days or, or from yesterday actually um and, and you get discussion going but it, it can be with people who you've no idea who they are and um you, i think sometimes you have to be a little bit careful and like yourself alex i think i've blocked one or two people in the past that I thought I'm not entirely sure I need to be interacting with this person. Um, But the vast majority, the vast majority are sensible people who love the hobby and uh, use it as a a bit of a platform to talk about it and and spread the news. So uh, if you do find an extra hour in your day, Dan, I would recommend it. I will. I'll I'll borrow... my partner's phone, Julia's phone, and I'll uh, I'll have a look, see what's going on. Yeah, have a look. Yeah, you can certainly search all three of us out. We're we're on there most days. So, um, right, uh, let's uh, circle back round to pair then for your second positive aspect of the year twenty twenty. Okay, so <clears throat> one of the funniest projects I've done this this year is actually a two millimeter project. Yes, and uh, so I would say so. Mark Backhouse, who's uh, he's he's writing a, a set of rules, which he's used some of his fantastic two millimeter uh, creations to to kind of put into life and so on. And it had a different name before, but it's called Strength and Honor at the moment, which I kind of remember. So that's perhaps a good start for it. And. Uh, he asked me to play test it. Now I've been so bloody busy, so I, I haven't had time to play test it yet. But what I did have time to do uh, was to do uh, quite a few kind of two millimeter kind of bases. Uh, and it's a I tried some time ago, and uh, I struggled a little bit with it because I think I approached it a little bit like the uninitiated perhaps approaches a two millimeter project. But it's harder to do to try to paint. You know, two millimeter project, sorry, miniatures in the same way as some people might try and be successful, all these bloody taking ages of painting their six mil. But, but I kind of gave it a go and I kind of went for the kind of dotting a little bit here and there and see how it turns out. And it was kind of a revelation for me and quite interesting. Now, I don't know if I love it more than six mil. I have to admit I don't. But that those armies I did, some Romans versus some kind of war bands, whatever kind of, you know. Uh, has been really really fun project and and at the same time as I did that and I know I kind of sneaking in a little bit I also did this uh, infamy infamy kind of war band which is a fusion of uh, Scandinavian post apocalyptic uh, uh, environments with kind of Roman Romans and Celts yeah so that for me has been like I've kind of tried out two kind of crazy things this year which perhaps I'm not sure I would have done otherwise I probably would have kind of done you know, 
try that rule in six mil or try you know infamy in six mil but i kind of decided to to stretch myself a little bit and so that's been kind of a positive this year i think i i've gone quite i painted quite a lot of 28 mil and two mil i actually realized i painted all the warlords judge dread figures that they kind of released in that latest round you know as a little bit of a hobby thing on the side in the kind of last six months which so so the production has been enormous even though it kind of doesn't look like that when you look at my six mil stuff yeah so for me it's the, it's the widening of of uh of what i've been doing that's been a, a positive alex i think you've uh painted some of those some of the just red stuff yeah, Per and I were talking about it while he was doing them. He's he's a fantastic, I think. I mean, I I picked a load up um, when they first released them. Um, I don't know if there's been any any new releases on those. They seem to be languishing a little bit, but I guess that's COVID and things, isn't it? But um, yeah, they um, they're really nice figures. Uh, I got a lot of their old their old range as well, which were nice, but the 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 skulls were all completely different. You know, the judges are all supposed to be the same uniform and the, the eagles on their arms were all completely different because they were obviously done by different people, you know. But it's these new ones, they're uniform, which is probably the best way to describe them. So they look, they all look like they're supposed to be uh, wearing the same uniform despite their different figures. They're really lovely. I, I don't know how you found painting them, uh, Pear, but I've really enjoyed it and, you know, Judge Dredd's just been a, a childhood he- hero of mine and, and always will be, I think, you know. Well, anti-hero, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's the same. I mean, I remember the first time. Actually, my mum who dragged home a Judge Dredd and kind of gave to me, you know, and said, I found this, maybe you like it. And I remind her, she doesn't remember it, but, you know, it's actually mum who kind of gave me this, this you know, introduction to this guy, you know. So... <laughs> Uh, so, so no, I, I, it's the same. And for me, it's kind of like, uh, as you say, it's the anti-hero. I tried to get my, my son into it, but he's a little bit perhaps too modern in his thinking. He doesn't think it's, you know, he doesn't really see the charm in the same way. So so we're working on that, yeah. <laughs> Keep battering him with yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> well, exactly. It seems a little bit sensitive, you know, like uh, perhaps not as kind of John Wayne as me, maybe. I don't know. And uh, maybe that's a good thing for the modern world, but yeah. <laughs> Uh, Dan, uh, have you uh, any experience of Judge Dredd at all? I've not. I've not, you know, I've painted all sorts of things for people, commission-wise and things, and for my own numerous projects, but I've never, I've never done the Judge Dredd. I've never gone down that one. I've, I've done a bit of sort of sci-fi in the Star Wars game I put on, and um, I think maybe in the future I'll do a, I'm a big HG Wells fan, so I might do War of the Worlds in 6 mil. Oh, excellent! Wow. That'd be nice using some some of the Bacchus Victorian British, and then uh, yeah, stick to the book, not the film, not the LA film. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, get some. Uh, I think Pendragon do some um, tripods, so you know. But no, I've not done Judge Dredd yet. Have you done? Have you done two mil? Have I? Have ever seen you, you do two mil? Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know if you want to. I'll move on to uh, on to my second positive. It kind of comes into that again. It's a little bit like, again, he's going to think I'm copying. I'm looking over his shoulder. Um, my second positive of the 2020 is time, really. And, um, I had a lot more time. I was I was lucky enough to 
still be paid, uh, but I wasn't exactly furloughed, but I work at a college and it had to close down in March. And so I had from March until September, uh, apart from, a, you know, some online sort of uh, meetings and things, but I had a lot more time than I usually would. So that really meant that I could, A, indulge more in my projects and B, you know, do a lot more commissions than I would have I would have taken on. So I did some two mil stuff, yeah. I did some scenic stuff from uh, from brigade models. Oh, lovely, yes. little, lovely little buildings they do in the two mil stuff. Um, and I've done some of the uh, Ozzelosmi three mil in the past. Uh, again, that's another. It's a brilliant scale, really. It just gives you, you know, all the things we talk about six mil compared to the 28 big boys you know we're going to get a bigger battlefield you can do the flanking move it looks more like a battle it did i mean you, you know you go to the nth degree then obviously then two mil you can say that more so really so i have i enjoyed painting that up and it's amazing what sort of detail they're getting on these figures now as well i don't know if anybody saw but did you see that that nano some sort of um somebody made a boat that was about 0.01 nanometers long or something God, no, I didn't see that, no. You can have a war game with a microscope, you know, and you can have a six-foot-before-foot table. could be could be a whole continent, you know. There's an entire hobby, isn't there, where people paint little figures on the top of a pinhead, where they'll paint Elvis, a figure of Elvis Presley. I don't know if you, any of you have ever seen that, but it is quite remarkable what these people do on the on the head of a pin. Mm, I've seen them on Greater Rice. Is he a French bloke who did the? Uh, he carves out grains of sand. He did a, a camel in the eye of a needle. That's it in the eye of a needle. There you go. Not the top of a pinhead. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, he did an actual camel out of a grain of sand. I mean, that's just bonkers. I mean, my eyesight's pretty good, but um, <laughs> I don't think I could go that small. <laughs> no, no, that's, uh, that's taking the biscuit a little bit. Yeah, so I think, I think time really. <laughs> time is, um, I mean, that's the most precious thing, isn't it? I mean, you've got, and it, it, it's an interesting topic because, you know, if you've got a partner and everything else, you've got to fit all sorts of things in. And, and I, I am pretty much all or nothing. And uh, I think we talked a bit before we we started about how I dropped out of the scene and lost the mojo and I didn't do anything for a couple of months um, and then once I get back into it, it it's it's an obsession and I you know I, if I want stopped I'd just do it 24 hours a day so it's very good at reining me in and putting up with it but I mean maybe that's another I was thinking you know when you send what could we talk about maybe another time John, we'll talk about sort of wargaming widow sort of thing that we yes yeah that'd be an interesting topic because a lot of comments i get off facebook are all about you know how does she put up with this and how does she <laughs> so that'd be an interesting topic, but i digress time time it's given well just on that point alex your your wife lives in a different country doesn't she <laughs> She certainly does. Well, at the moment, she's back for Christmas. Uh, she came back um, f uh, four weeks ago, just before Austria went into a lockdown. Uh, she jumped on a plane. She lives and works in Vienna. Uh, we've not seen one another since oh, March, I think it was. Um, no, it was the, the second 
British lockdown. So uh, we, I went across in summer for a week to go and see her because that was the first time we'd seen each other since last Christmas. And uh, she basically jumped on a plane and was here, you know, two days after we discussed it. She's here at the moment and uh, she's supposed to go back on the 30th because of the B word, uh, which I'll not, I'll not bring up. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that, that's one word that's banned. <laughs> yeah, because there's a whole issue about residences and things. Yes. And they've just now, they've, they've uh, cancelled all flights. So... I was just going to say, you know, this whole trains, planes, and automobile thing—it's just mad, isn't it? Yeah, the the problem is, it's, it's um, so we don't know at the moment what's going to happen with the flights, whether they're going to, you know, allow flights again, or if she's going to be here for much longer. I mean, she's been able to work from home. She's actually attending a conference tomorrow in Macedonia uh, in our front room, <laughs> which you know is. That's probably quite a good segue into into my second one, but uh, but yeah, basically at the moment she's she's here in in the UK uh, for the time being and for for the uh, for the foreseeable future at the moment until things change. You know, it's a daily daily updates as to what is happening travel wise for her. So yeah, you know, a positive that's a positive having her around. Uh, in a in a funny kind of way, it's positive she's not here because. She would be a wargaming widow, otherwise. I think. Yes. Yeah. Well, that, that was sort of the point there. That uh, your your productivity over the summer has been phenomenal, but um, obviously with your partner uh, far away. Yeah. You know. So it's um, positives and negatives, I guess, in both ways. Yeah. 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 yeah I think time is something we can all agree on. That um, there's a real balance, isn't there, with with families, work, and other commitments to to give to the hobby, uh, whether or not you're making money from the hobby, whether or not it's purely for your own enjoyment or to keep up a blog or, or whatever it is. Um, time spent, like I, I'm sitting in my office now surrounded by my figures, but whilst I'm here, I'm not downstairs with the, my wife and my child. But, well, fortunately, they're out at the moment, but... You get the point that the, the time that you spend is quite a solitary activity, isn't it, where you're painting? Yeah. I mean, I'm up in the war room and, and Claire is down somewhere else in the house. You know, we're not interacting uh, when she's here. So, I, you know, my painting has dropped off while Claire has been here. That's be, because, that's because you know, I want to see her. <laughs> yeah, no, of course. Yeah, it's understandable. Absolutely. But... I hope my partner's not listening to this then, otherwise she's going to think I don't want to see her. <laughs> <laughs> 18 hours a day painting mate yeah <laughs> uh, okay Dan uh, thank you very f- much for that I think we can all agree time has, has been uh, a great asset uh, for most of us throughout the year apart from Pear obviously who's been working incredibly hard by the sounds of it um, Alex uh, will segue into your second one then well, yeah, like I said, basically, uh, the the big revelation and a real positive that I've seen come out of 2020 has just been the rise in online gaming. And I mean, specifically wargaming. Uh, I don't know if any of you other guys have been involved in any of the virtual lard games that Jeremy Short set up earlier. No. They're, um, basically, it's just it's online sessions of, of Two Fat Lardies games. And I think he's had... I think it's on three at the moment. There's been three, and each one has grown. Because I don't know if you're aware, but the two fat lardies normally have 
their lard days up all across the country, the UK. And they're basically just free gaming days. You go along and you go and try out the lardy games and meet up with various people. And I did, I was at Steel Lard last year in Sheffield, uh, last November. And then off the back of that, Jeremy invited me along to the virtual lard, which I thought, you know, uh, going into it, I thought this is, I don't really know what this is going to be about. You know, how do you play war games online, you know, against people? And it's basically really, really simple. Uh, the host, you have a host, they set up the table. You usually have two two players per side, so four people. <coughs> so five people in total, the host and then the players. The host will set up. They'll basically set up a webcam so you, everybody can see the board. They'll have another smaller webcam like on a, a, um, a phone or something. And basically you just play through the game like you normally would, but they, the host is the one that's moving the figures around on the table. Uh, but the players are the ones that are rolling the dice. So, you know, when you get into combat and things, you get to roll the dice. And like I say, I, you know, when I, I first heard about it, I was just thinking, this: how does this work? And then within, literally within minutes of the game starting, you're right, you're in it. You know, you sat watching this thing. Uh, you give all your instructions to the guy who, who hosts. They move everything around and it works perfectly. And I, I've sat in on three of them now and really enjoyed every single one of them. And I thought... What was really interesting, in the last one I played, I was playing Chain of Command. It was hosted by a chap in Ireland. I was sat here in in, in Rotherham, near Sheffield. He was in Ireland. I think he's in Dublin, near Dublin. Uh, the One of the guys on my team was on the east coast of America, and we were playing against another guy on the east coast of America and another bloke on the west coast of America. It was like 6,000 miles between all of us, yet we were all able to play Chain of Command, you know, perfectly well. And I thought... It's a real, real eye opener. It's something that I can't imagine many people have actually done prior to twenty twenty. So I just thought, you know, that was a real for for wargaming, if nothing else, a real positive thing. You know, it's really, really um, opened a lot of people's eyes up to what you can actually do. It's pretty amazing, that is, isn't it? And I know that there's been a real there's been a real ups, uptake in Zoom. Um, who'd heard of Zoom? Well, I certainly hadn't heard of Zoom prior to March. Uh, but I guess the shares in that company have gone through the roof. But um, to, to facilitate these these online games, and I talked about this in the Q&A that I did a, a couple of weeks back. The, the question was raised, could Zoom games or games over the internet bring something else to the experience, the game experience other than the convenience of being able to play sat in your own home against somebody on the other side of the world. And I thought that was an interesting point because in, in games, in, in traditional face-to-face games, we have perfect information, don't we? We have that God's eye view of the table, whereas there's the potential where you get just the, the view of where your men are in your position and you haven't got that perfect information exactly there's there i don't know if you've seen the new lardy magazine as well that's just come out there's somebody i can't remember his name um it's he's called trouble at mill on the uh on twitter no, mike whittaker that's it mike whittaker uh he spoke about that and basically um he had i think he's he's done this via zoom where you can only actually see what your figures can see on the board. So they set up the camera. So it is, you know, 
basically at worm's eye level. Yes. You can't see it. You can't shoot at it. And, you know, by, by all accounts, that, that has gone down really, really well from, from what I've heard about it. And I think, yeah, that's that's a perfect way of doing it compared to the way we normally play, like you say, with the God's eye uh, over the over the battlefield. You, yeah. you always know where your enemy are, even if they're, you know, they're a, a blind or a dummy or something. You know, you, you've still got an idea. Whereas if you've only got that, that camera eye view on the ground, and that can be controlled pretty easily through Zoom, I think. So I think that is a massive, a massive difference to to normal face to face wargaming. It's it's an interesting development, isn't it? Because I I think that has perhaps come out as a, a potential or a positive out of something that people have used out of necessity. That actually there's a new angle to play the game at. So it'd be interesting to see how that develops. I'm, I'm- in the future for potential people hosting this on a on a regular basis you know if you know it could actually grow the hobby as well so that you can kind of mm-hmm. try out etc like have have set up these things and also for companies to promote their games it's you know yeah yeah absolutely to play and so on so i think there'll be a lot of things coming out of, of that i tried only twice to play these games and i, I feel exactly like you're saying that the, it's that element of kind of almost like you're in a submarine, you know, and you get selective information and you have to make decisions based on, you know, quickly based on the, the, the limited information you have, you know, is what's coming against me, you know, is it a, is it kind of an enemy and, you know, and then taking the risk of exposing yourself. And as you say, it's totally different than when you stand there, you know, uh, all of, all of you around the table and you kind of almost making decisions together, which is a great, you know, social way of it, but it actually adds a little bit of a, of a, a more kind of a interesting dynamic to it, you know, that you can't really create unless you could put like yourself in a in a box running around. Again. Yeah, I mean, it's brilliant. I mean, that that whole fog of war is is something that most war games rules fall down on. And I've seen it at shows where people have had screens up, and they're they're the high command. Some people are high command. The others are the sort of generals on the ground. And uh, they can only communicate through that, and they can't see what's going on on the board. And I guess it's just taking that to another level. I've not tried it, but it sounds brilliant. Yeah. Yeah, so it really is. I mean, even just the online gaming itself is is a terrific way of meeting new people uh, that you would you'd just never you'd never come across. You know, you'd never see these people in your life. You know, like I say, I was playing with three guys in America. You know, we're all enjoying the same game. It's it's an incredible experience, really. Yeah, it's, it's something I, I should jump on to. I think next opportunity where mm. one comes up perhaps in the new year, I'll, I'll certainly give that a go. Uh, right, let's go back around to the top then, back to pair for your third and final uh, highlight of 2020. So my final one is a very kind of small thing, but actually really big thing for me. I actually commissioned six six sorry five six millimeter miniatures uh by a sculptor an italian guy who's made six uh millimeter figures for me five of them and uh, they depict uh my three favorite paintings that relate to the great northern war and uh i i wanted to paint this little small vignettes or whatever they're called uh and one is basically the 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 little scene that 
you know, uh, Masepa, who was the the Cossack leader who helped Charles XII in Poltava, where where at at uh, after the battle he sits the King Charles with his uh, you know damaged leg, which was one of the causes that he couldn't really lead the, the forces on that day, and Masepa kind of point, points out to him, uh, points out over the Dnieper River, so. Uh, these two two kind of figures I've, I've done. I also w- always wanted to have a proper King Charles riding on a horse, you know, the the triumphant uh, King Charles. So I've done one of those as well. And then I got uh, Steinbock, who was one of the what, my favorite general and, and field marshal later on of the era. And uh, he he managed to assemble a Swedish force to kick out the Danes once and for all from Sweden. In 1710, uh, you know, no disrespect to the Danes, but they don't really belong in southern Sweden, in my view. Uh, and uh, it was basically he assembled, uh, uh, you know, young young kind of uh, recruits, more or less, and they, they were walking in their wooden shoes, in their clogs. And the little drummer boy that had been made, he actually wears clogs. And, uh, and Stenbock himself is riding on a horse triumphantly, like the famous painting. Uh, holding up his his tricorn, and they're all done in six mil, and they all look beautiful, you know. And I paid a lot of money for it, but it was worth every penny. And that is one of the personally best thing I've I've done this year, you know. I've seen the pictures of those pair, and uh, I, th- I think we communicated around about the time you were doing the commission. So that's come through fairly quickly, hasn't it? Yeah, it has. And and but I just want to try to, I just want to get them because you know. Uh, I hope that postal service from Italy is not as bad as the postal service within the UK at the moment. But, uh, we'll see when they arrive at some point for April or something. Yes. Uh, so you haven't got them in your hands yet? No, I've just been sent the kind of finals. And are oh, they good? They will look brilliant, you know, and, and uh, just amazing kind of level of skill. I mean, you know, I've seen great six mil before and, and uh, you know, it's not in that sense, but it was just nice to say, look, here are my three favorite paintings. Can you please do, you know, Charles on the horse, the drummer boy and Steinbock and then Maseppa. And, and, and they are done exactly like you would imagine them, you know, uh, with that six millimeter charms. Of course, they, they they look a little bit more like me than, than a thin individual, but uh, they have that perfect kind of caricature of a person that works in six mil, yeah? Yeah. No, they they've uh, they look excellent, and uh, I look forward to seeing them painted up. Uh, okay, thanks for that, pair. Uh, Dan, number three. That's it, because I um, had that idea for a while. You know, the whole military painting, the prints, and I just made only this week. I've just made a little burning limber and a, a Gatling gun that the fuzzy was, is if we can call them that, Beja or Hayden Dower tribesmen in the Sudan um, at the Battle of Tame, a famous painting. So I had that idea as well. It's funny, isn't it, Per? That, um, yeah, let's make a little diorama from a, a military print. Brilliant. And I think I know the guy, I think I know the guy you're talking about as well, The uh, in Italy, who's uh, sculpting that. Because uh, another guy I'm in contact with who I'm doing some work for, he commissioned the same chap, I'm sure it was him, to do some um, characters from Arnhem. So he's got six of the officers that were at Arnhem. Yeah, it's the same. 
yeah, he commissioned he commissioned him to do that, and thankfully, I've uh, I've managed to bag a set of those figures. Um, I'm just going to paint something for him in return, basically. But yeah, that's brilliant. That he's, he's, and they're amazing figures, aren't they? Yeah, and, and you know, if you think about it, it's 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 uh, and they, they cost something, but compared to you know what it would take me to mm. to sculpt or what. I charge myself out for per hour. It's nothing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They are the the beautiful little things. Um, so my third uh, third positive is a personal one as well, and that was uh, the Hammerhead show in March, just before the lockdown happened, and there was a lot of talk coming up to that show about whether it was going to go ahead and not. And uh, actually, we were talking last time in November when I was on about the Zulu War project I was doing at the time, the Isndwana Isndwana game. Um, And I'd spent probably a year or so painting up all these. I mean, I did uh, 4,000 Zulu and all the sort of units involved and all the scenery. And I was gutted that it wasn't going to go ahead because I'd booked this table, you know, a big 16-foot table. Uh, Anyway, it did go ahead. And uh, I think what made it more special is the fact that, well, two things. A, that it was the last show really of the, that year, of this year. So, I mean, you know, that that just brought home all the the things why I do what I do, really. It's about this in the, the last time. I spent a lot of time painting, uh, making terrain on my own. And getting out to the shows is the one time I can just share all that with people and let them play play that game on with you know with my figures and my terrain and everything it was great so the fact that that show went ahead was good but the icing on the cake was that uh, it was another win for the six mil really i won the uh, most aesthetically pleasing game at the show so brilliant well done the feather in the yeah, it's great to see uh, these games getting recognition and all the hard work paying off Certainly, I was—I can't remember why I didn't get to the show. To be honest, I, I must have been working. But uh, the last show I attended was—I uh, think it was the week after Hammerhead, uh, which was the West Midlands modelling show um, in Wolverhampton. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which is a show, Alan, Alan Well, it used to be called. Yeah. But um, I've been going to that show for thirty odd years, um, and that, that was the last one that I've. I've been to certainly, certainly missing the shows and, and looking forward to getting back to them. But uh, yeah, that, that's great. Yeah, I, I saw the pictures, obviously, of the Sandalwana game, and it's something I'm, I'm most interested in. So actually, you've just reminded me there that you and Alex have both got something in common, and that you both painted up um, the the armies for Waterloo because that that was one of your first big projects, wasn't it, Dan? And yeah. Uh, yeah. the two several years. And Alex took four years, I think, with yours. <laughs> I certainly did. I still haven't finished because I haven't got the Prussians yet. So I'm only two thirds of the way through. <laughs> oh, I'm, w- I'm waiting for Bacchus to open their car properly. That's all. <laughs> what need is a little back door into the Bacchus cart, but that's another tale. Um, no, <laughs> nine, yeah, nine years it took me, but on and off, I was at uni. Nine years? Yeah, I was at uni. Right, as well, right. So. How many individual figures is it? Is yours? 10,000. I did it 1 to 20. So I'd got 
right. Yeah, there's about 50,000 Prussians, 72,000 French, 69,000 Yeah, I did it. I, I got about 10,000. Yeah. Yeah, I'm 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 currently on I think seven thousand. That's for the British and the French. There you go. Yeah, there you go. So you must have done it on a similar thing. But it's that it is that holy grail, I think, isn't it? I mean. Oh yeah, absolutely. I wanted to do it since I was twelve. You know. Yeah, I've seen Waterloo. Dancing Queen than Waterloo personally, but. Uh... <laughs> well played. Yeah, very good. Very good. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> Smooth. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, yes, they're both. Uh, the, well, I've only seen pictures of, of both of them, but they are both uh, incredible projects. So yours, Adler, Dan. The Napoleonics. Uh, yeah, when I did that, when I did Waterloo, uh, Bacchus was pretty much just starting out, and they they didn't have a full range at the time, and uh, Adler did. So I went with Adler. I mean, I do love Adler anyway, uh, as back. Yes. Oh, they love um, the figures, aren't they? I mean, uh, I still, you know, I just can't get enough painting. Painting horses, I can't stop. Adler horses are amazing. <laughs> <laughs> but that's another tale. Um, yeah. Brilliant stuff, brilliant. So I did, I did, I did Adler, yeah, 10,000. So um, Zulus, but Bacchus's range of uh, colonial figures is just as sweet so and i know you've you've just got a load of zulus haven't you i have i have um uh, they are on the pile of shame though unfortunately i've been uh, distracted somewhat uh, with the civil war project so well yeah I mean, um the uh, agra earthshade is your friend there um <laughs> i've got well, sure a big fan of that aren't you <laughs> Drink it by the gallon. I got through lots and lots of that. Yeah. I, I have to say, I have to say, gentlemen, I'm on Pear's side, actually. I'm a Winter and Newton Nut Brown man. Uh, oh. However, I'm, uh, I'm right at the bottom of my third pot over the last three months. Um, <laughs> so I'm feeling uh, I'm feeling I need to get an order in, but it's probably going to be in the new year now. Well, you know, I... I... I'm I'm privy to, to the sort of slagging off, really. We shouldn't slag anybody off. It's a positive podcast, but, you know, um, that product from Gaines Workshop, I think, is probably my go-to product for 2020. Once you discover it, it's brilliant. Yeah. Oh, it is excellent. I've, I've got a couple of pots of it myself. I think it's great. I'm not into this whole speed painting because uh, – Primarily, I'm a painter, as you know. Um, so, wargaming is just a happy coincidence of of my sort of history in painting, really. But um, that is a that is a product that I would uh, say is you know get that in, brilliant. Uh, right, Alex, uh, over to you for your third one, please. Uh, my third one's pretty personal, I suppose. It's my uh, YouTube channel. Uh, I I can't not mention it really. I started this year uh, i set it up well this is almost two years ago now i set it in january in, in 2019 uh with not really much idea of a direction for it and i was just looking at my analytics and at the end of last year in 20 uh, this this time last year i think i had 382 subscribers 
uh, at the end of this year, I've got 3,077. Incredible. So it's gone gone massive. It's absolutely gone. I mean, a large part of that has got to be uh, due to the lockdown, I think, uh, because people were just turning to, you know, to, to new ways of entertaining themselves. And I think it's really taken off from that. I think also because I've, I've really uh, filtered it down to historical wargaming rather than war, a bit more scattershot of board gaming and wargaming that I did last year. It's a much more historical wargaming now, but it's really led on to a lot of other good things as well. I mean, you know, not only the subscribers, but like we were talking about Twitter and things about how, you know, that has... Uh, the 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 presence on that has increased as well, uh, and also it's led on to you know me being invited onto various podcasts, yours included, Sean. I think you were one of the first ones that that had me on as a guest, you know, and I was absolutely bowled over when you asked me, and it's you know it's just gone on from that. People keep asking me to to talk about various things, really. You've been uh, quite a few now, haven't you, Alex? Yeah, and Alex also become like a voice actor as well for uh, an American show, yeah? Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right for Little Wars, yeah, yeah. Um, again, just up really off the back of the um, off the back of the, the, the channel. So, you know, from, from my point of view, that's a massive positive, really. I just Connected think, you know... For dead. <laughs> I, Alex, I, I just... Caught the uh, the Blucher game you did a Waterloo and the um, yeah yeah the brilliant stuff yeah I am not uh, YouTube again you know it's it's new to me YouTube new whatever it is look face and all that um but yeah the Blucher the, yeah the Blucher just running through the rules of it because I you know I tweak the rules and things and it's brilliant that yeah and Quattro Bra and all that. Yeah, well, you know, it was really it was a chance to get those figures onto the board as much as anything else. Those the solo games I've been playing, and they've been really, you know, people have really taken to them, and it's just a chance for me to play some games while while we're locked down because I've only seen my mates that I normally game with, you know, twice during this entire year. So face face to face gaming is completely out. And uh, it, should, it was just a chance to explore various rule sets from my point of view. And as I say, other people seem to enjoy watching people play games. And this is quite funny. Speaking of Little Wars, they had a, a podcast just the other day, and it was one of the guys from uh, Mini War Games, the big YouTube channel. They're mainly 40K and stuff, uh, Games Workshop Games. But uh, I can't remember who he was, but he was talking about why people watch games and and you know he Heath when they were setting up their YouTube channel when I was setting mine up I, one of the things I was thinking was why would anybody want to watch me play games but it's the same as it's the same as sports isn't it you know yeah. you people watch football in their millions they watch football matches but they're not playing in them they're just watching them it's it's exactly the same you know you're watching somebody else go through the motions of of doing something you're interested in and it's really taken off, as I say, from from my point of view, from my YouTube channel. And I'm absolutely bowled over by the response I had from it, really. I mean, if we've got, you know, if we've got breakdancing in the uh, Olympics, why not war game? <laughs> well, yeah, it's the next thing in it. Let's 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 petition for that, shall we? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, Alex, it's um, it's been amazing to follow the growth of your channel um i've been a long time follower of your blog actually storm of steel 
Um, and we've talked about this before, where I was influenced by your uh, square bashing game of the uh, Battle of the Somme from back in 2016. Um, and I used that as influence for a, a game I did myself uh, using square bashing. To see the, the channel grow over the last 12 months has been fantastic. The content that you put out there is really good. And you make a, a good point there. It was um, the guy's called Matthew from Miniature Wargaming. Um, there's, there's him and a guy called Dave that run that channel, which has been going for years. And I've, I've, I've followed it for or on and off for a number of years. Mm. And that's their business that they yeah. run that channel um, and that they make a living out of it. Uh, but I think when you're talking about Games Workshop, you're talking about a different demographic and you're talking about oh. different economics, aren't you, entirely? Oh, completely, completely. I mean, you know, Wargaming is a niche. Historical Wargaming is even more of a niche within that niche. You know, you, you, you're really paring it down. I'm, I'm, I'm small fry. Uh, you know, compared to to mini wargaming, if I was doing more forty k stuff, I'd probably have a lot more subscribers <laughs> because there's a lot more people interested in that, and it's very accessible. You know, uh, but I'm very happy with with where I am. Yeah, you know, with with what is basically a hobby channel that I you know I try to I try to make content that I would enjoy watching. You know, that's that's what it comes down to. And and, and so you should be really you should be really proud of what you've done because. Three thousand over three thousand followers is a, a fantastic achievement. Mm. I look, I, I, I follow quite a few of the other YouTube channels that do focus on the Games Workshop model, um, and the viewing figures that they get are just astounding. Um, there's one called Midwinter Miniatures, which I follow just for the painting, really, the painting tips. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's I, fantastic. Yeah, have you seen? Have you watched any of those, Alex? I, I know of him. Yeah. Uh, they come up as, as, um, as suggestions, and I've watched quite a few of them. Yeah, like you say, I'm not interested in the subjects, but it's the techniques that they use and and things like that. You can they, you know, they're transferable completely to historical. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I, I, I make no, I don't hide the fact that I've dipped in and out of the games workshop hobby uh, over the last thirty years, and I've an interest in in the fantasy and science fiction side of the hobby as well. But um, I, I think the point I'm making is that. That guy from March, I think he, he started his channel. Um, he's, he's now full-time YouTube because the Games Workshop model and the the following of that hobby, of that aspect of the hobby is so great. The reach is so far and wide that this guy can give up his full-time job. Um, and he's, he's making something. I think he, he put up a... Uh, an episode of his channel the other day and said he's making something like $6,000 a month on, on a good month. <laughs> wow. I'm, I should go over to Games Workshop. <laughs> but I mean, that's quite incredible, isn't it? And, and I appreciate that there's, there's costs involved and um, he doesn't always make $6,000 a month, but he's on a real uptick in his viewership at the moment. So, And it goes on hits, I think, or, or views that when you monetize these channels. So, uh, but it's very difficult, I think, for the uh, a historical channel to break into that sort of uh, into that sort of level, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. I mean, the biggest one is is uh, by far, I would say, is Little Wars TV. Yeah, and you know they have, I think, there's something like twenty five thousand subscribers. Maybe right. it's more. 
I can't remember. Um, I, I did check it the other day, but uh, you know that is is a huge amount for a, a historical wargaming site compared to like said the, the the games workshop stuff where they've got you know where mini war games have got something like three hundred and fifty thousand subscribers. So it just shows you you know the complete difference in in the amount of people that are watching those or looking for that. But then I think that might change as well though over the over the over the next few years because again because a lot of people in who are generally older who are into historical wargaming have probably turned more towards YouTube. And I've noticed even in this last year um that the a few more channels have started that are specifically historical wargaming. I don't know if this is partly because of lockdown or whatever, you know, or people just realize they can do this stuff. It's relatively simple now to put videos on YouTube. If you've got a, a smartphone, you know, you can do it very simply. And I've, didn't, I've noticed that quite a few have actually started off. It's, it's almost as though it's, it's becoming the new blog again, you know, but <laughs> I think when people realize how much work is actually involved in it, <laughs> they're probably, yeah, they might drop off pretty quickly. <laughs> That's really interesting stuff. I had somebody saying that, um, that I should start a crowdfund and then I could give up work as well and just paint, but I don't know what a crowdfund is. Uh, well, it's, there's, there's a thing called Patreon, which I've I've set up, and I know you have one as well, don't you, Sean? Yes. Pair very, very kindly donates money to me. <laughs> I don't know why. Holy shit, that's what I need to get involved with. Yeah, well, that, that, uh, uh, you know, I've run out of money now, so you won't get any for free. Yeah? <laughs> Go on up. Uh, I've got to embrace this new technology, I can see. Yeah, yeah well, exactly. I, we'll see. There might be a competition there. I might have to sit and wait, you know. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you get some money this month. Well, you have to get a little smoother voice then to kind of beat Alex. Yeah, I mean, he's like voiceovers and stuff, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But but <laughs> no, but it is great. And and also what, what what has happened, Alex, is that I think that you have, uh, as you say, you, you you focused your your offer as well. So it's not just lockdown, but I think it is, uh, as you say, it is your production is is more kind of focused than, and I guess it's as you do it, you get kind of it it it's kind of professional, you know, as well. I, I especially like your kind of historical overviews of a campaign it feels almost like a, a prelude to kind of a battle you know you know and i think maybe one thing you could do moving forward is to also then play those battles you know and then do a combined kind of you know an hour of talking and playing it you know but but uh, yeah maybe give me a discount next month for that idea but <laughs> Brilliant. Well, you can give yourself a discount by just stopping paying me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, okay. Yeah, that's enough. the easiest discount. Uh, but yeah, no, that's a really good idea, actually. It's uh, that's worthwhile thinking about. And yeah, I think I think you're right. I mean, it is. I have become more focused in this last year. Um, when I started the channel, I was I was doing mainly board games because that was the kind of stuff I was watching on YouTube. And I, and to be honest, you know, two years ago, I, I was thinking, how do you, how can you even do historical wargaming on YouTube? You know, and I just didn't have an idea as to how to do it. And it's kind of fallen into place through doing a lot of solo gaming through the lockdown because I I I did that video about solo wargaming because I used to solo wargaming when I was a kid more so. And then I thought, well, 
off the back of that, I may as well at least show people how to solo war game if I'm talking about it. So, you know, here's me playing a game solo. Just, to, you know, I think that was, it was one of the blueshy ones was one of the first ones. And, uh, and yeah, so like you say, I think it is, it's, it's more just that commitment to the historical war gaming side of it than, than a scattergun approach that I had previously. Uh, and also, sorry for that, Phil, but there is a, we're talking about uh, Lord Magazine before. It's uh, the latest issue is just out, and it's amazing stuff in there. I mean, you you produce something there, and as well. But also, there is uh, a lot of solar wargaming stuff being discussed there, and uh, it's it's really like uh, I really recommend anyone to buy that the the Lord Magazine, but also to follow up on on the different solar gaming that people do, you know, and, and uh, because it is actually really fun once you kind of get into it you know and, and it's not just like you kind of playing with yourself so to speak it's actually it can actually give you quite a lot of insight oh yeah absolutely I'm, I'm a big advocate of it i mean I, like I say when i was a kid i used to play a lot of solo war games but it, it kind of dropped off more as i going to an adult but you know i've got really back into it again this last year it's just there's, there's, there's so many so many options you have with it really yeah i think that whole lot that whole lockdown just has played into the whole solo thing, hasn't it? Yeah, yeah, definitely. definitely. Did you just say you were playing with yourself? No, <laughs> I, yeah. did I? Yes, probably. Yep. <laughs> it's not you having you having doing it with someone you love, yeah. <laughs> uh, Alex, I was, I was I know that. Um, you do quite a lot of the lardy games, or certainly I'm being shot, mom, and chain of command. And uh, I, I was refraining myself from saying cock, but uh, <laughs> you, you've you've done a bulging cock, haven't you? Something I, like, I, 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 I have a bulging cock coming out towards the end of this week. <laughs> that will be uh, will be uh, revealed all to see on uh, Christmas Eve. <laughs> Brilliant! <laughs> I thought just last weekend. I thought let's do a Christmas special. What what better battle than the Battle of the Bulge? You know, it's it's fought over Christmas. It's one of the most famous Christmas battles, isn't it? I did think about doing the fall of Hong Kong, uh, because that also surrendered on twenty fifth of December as well. But um, I I went with the Battle of the Bulge, and well, that, that, that's the, a really good segue into the next. But I was just wondering though, if, I was just wondering if you'd ever consider something like Hundred Years War, Agincourt, that sort of thing. Uh, well, not really. I, you know, I, I know Henry V's speech at Agincourt and stuff, but I've never really seen much beyond uh, Kenneth Branagh giving his talk. And uh, I've actually visited Agincourt as well. And, and uh, I, I did think about the War of the Roses and, and that kind of Hundred Years War stuff, but it's not it's not really in my eye line, I don't think. No, no. Agincourt's just, just a muddy field. Christmas <laughs> Day, though. Oh, what was that, Dan? We love a bit of St. Crispin's Day, don't we? Especially oh, we do want oh, St. Crispin's Day. We, we haven't mentioned the fact that it's the shortest day as well, have we? Today. Oh, it is. The winter solstice. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Winter solstice, yes. So I hope you're burning new Yule logs and making sacrifices. Happy winter solstice. <laughs> <laughs> everybody. My favourite... Uh, kind of Christmas battle, or one of the many ones, I think is the, uh, you know, the Delaware crossing and the Continental yes. Army kind of fatigued mm. and then beats the Hessians. 
and especially I know I'm sorry I always come back to the fact there is that painting by Mac Barron you know Battle of Trenton where the Continental Army is kind of running through the town and all those dead Christians and the cannons and the snow I mean it doesn't get more epic than that, does it? Just, just kind of curious why there isn't more blood in those Hessians because they certainly lie down like they intended to die. So it's kind of, but I guess it's some kind of stylistic uh, choice there not to make it too bloody. That's brilliant. Right. Is, that, is that the uh, 1776, isn't it? George Washington crossing the... Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And, were, and all the Germans were hung over. Yeah, well, they they didn't expect some 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 maniac to get over there, you know. So, uh, you know, a typical sweet Swedish maneuver against the Danes, you know, walk over the ice over to Denmark and crush them, you know. That's a. I love that. <laughs> yeah, that that reminds me of that I, w- I was looking. So I know you were gonna you're gonna talk about the sort of Christmas battle and December battles and that. And that 1864 in the uh, American Civil War. Fisher, and um, they loaded a ship up with explosives, and they were gonna they were gonna sail it into the harbour at Fort Fisher, blow up the fort, and actually it just blew up beforehand and just blew the boat up. <laughs> Didn't whoever <laughs> 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 turned the fuses must have got sat. <laughs> uh, have you have you ever seen the um, the film The Crossing? With I think it's Jeff Daniels who plays Washington, but it covers the crossing of the Delaware and the the Battle yeah. of Trenton. Yeah, yeah. It's not it's not a great film. <laughs> it's, it's yeah, it's it's, it's well, if it's on late one night over Christmas, it's worth a watch. But I wouldn't make too much effort to <laughs> seek it out. But but I mean the, the the on Christmas battles. I, I I recently talking about Twitter sent out a tweet and basically said, "Show me your Christmas battles," and it's become one of the most popular tweets I sent out, and so many people engaged in it. So clearly there is this fascination of of putting on you know like a a, a basically a white field with with uh, soldiers on you know fighting it out, and and for me. The one I haven't done yet, Great Northern War, is the Battle at Narva in 1700. And it's not Christmas time, but it's kind of November. And the Swedes are kind of 10,000 versus 40,000 Russians. So about fair odds. And, uh, and the Russians, of course, as, as they did and, and didn't do in Poltava, and perhaps that's what they want, they, don't, they actually stay back in their fortifications. And there is, back to this guy I talked about before, Steenbock, with Dalriamantet, which happens to be the county where I'm from, who kind of breaches it. But what happens there is that there is this snow that just basically blows up, you know, and, and it starts snowing, and it blows in the direction of the Russians. And you can almost see that that kind of uh, attack the Swedes do, you know, in that weather that we all love from up there, you know, and just hurraying ourselves over the, you know, and attacking the Russians and, and taking Narva back, you know. And uh, so, so for me, it's that snow, and maybe it's the time of the year, and the fact, as we said before, I'm looking out and just seeing misery. But there is something special with that snow. But the backside, of course, is the fact that there's a lot of accounts about soldiers in the field during winter, you know, which is quite sad to to read. And one of the biggest, you know, 
individual loss of human life in Swedish history actually is has to do with winter and when we were fighting in Norway. So our king, 1718, was shot in Norway and basically the campaign was kind of just basically stopped. And uh, there were a big, you know, s- uh, Swedish army who, who marched over the Norwegian fields. And if you just imagine the fact that it's been quite a mild winter and then suddenly you have this enormous snowstorm coming up. And so we have about over 3,000 Swedish soldiers who died, you know, in a matter of days up on that in that mountain, yeah? So uh, so I think Christmas and war is is kind of a mixed blessing, I guess, yeah? So it's the romantic side of the, you know, MacBaron painting versus perhaps the, the real, you know, uh, toil that winter has taken on soldiers over the, all these years, yeah? Reflect. I mean, talking about the English Civil War, of course, it's that famous sort of um, the banned Christmas in 1647. Um, And I was reading about what the troops were up to. And um, on Christmas Day, and they had to go around and break into people's houses and stop them cooking Christmas dinner. Oh my God. <laughs> that's, what, that's what the troops actually did, you know, in 1647. So we're talking about, you look at the news now and it's all this, oh, what are we going to do for Christmas? And it's, you know, all this doom and gloom. But actually, 1647, they banned Christmas and they stopped you cooking the turkey. <laughs> well, Boris hasn't said that yet, but I think he's, he's pretty much done everything else. <laughs> Not far off. Maybe. Not far off. Although I'm hoping the police don't go uh, knocking on doors on Christmas Day. <laughs> they might do. They, they might do. They might do. Uh, have you have you ever done a snow battle, Dan? Yes. Uh, well, only I say I have. Other than hot. It was only hot. It was only hot, <laughs> and that's because I just wanted to spray up some white stuff and make an impact with a half cassette. Was an obsession of mine when I was. <laughs> I've not done any other snow ones, but I, I mean, I was looking at some other sort of Christmas Christmas battles, if we're moving on to that, and I know that that was part of the thing, but I mean, Operation Linebacker 2, do we know about that? Nope. Uh, well, name rings a bell. That was 1972 in Vietnam. And uh, they called it, they sort of nicknamed it the 11 Days of Christmas, which is bad, really. And they dropped 15,000 tons of bombs in that 11 Days. So you kind of think to yourself, you know, okay, we can't have Christmas dinner together. We can't all sit around the table, but we ain't got 15,000 tons of bombs. Yeah, that's uh, that's one of the realities of, of life, isn't it? And uh, everything's in perspective, isn't it? And, and relative to your own experience, but we haven't got 15,000 tons of bombs landing on us. There's, there's actually been um, one or two things over Twitter where a picture has been... I don't know if anyone's seen this, actually. A picture was posted uh, of First World War troops in a trench. Alex, have you seen this? Yes, I did see it. <laughs> to see what you say before I say something. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, one of the my previous guests, historian uh, Paul Reed, uh, pointed this out, that 
there's a, a, a picture going round and it's troops in a trench and the headline of it is if you think Christmas is bad now, at least you're not back in Christmas 1914 in the trenches. Uh, but the picture that is used is actually troops in Gallipoli in the summer of 1915, um, <laughs> which loses the point somewhat. And in, interestingly, a friend of mine who's a teacher and doesn't listen to this podcast, but, well, I, I don't think he does, um, but uh, he posted this picture. And um, I, I did point out that... Actually, that, that picture's got nothing to do with Christmas. I understand the sentiment, but check check your facts, obviously. In, in a nice way. It wasn't in a, in a sort of bullshit way. And I got called a pedant for it, which I thought was a little bit harsh from a teacher because I'm sure if one of his pupils handed in a piece of work with, uh, with uh, some bad research behind it, and, and then uh, I think he might have pointed it out. Mm, yeah, I've seen it going round, and it's even friends of mine who should know better have been sharing it. And I just think, you know, surely you can see the pith helmets, if nothing else. You know, you see the fact that they they're not wearing the same equipment. You know, and you're meant to be a First World War historian. <laughs> What's wrong with you? But yes, it's, um, these things keep coming around a lot. I was actually speaking of Christmas battles. I was I was um, reading today, just for, doing a bit of homework on this, and and I didn't realise, but the the Germans' second air raid in the First World War was on Christmas Eve. Oh, great! Yeah, they flew over Britain and dropped a load of bombs. Then, so completely different to what was happening in the trenches the next day, wasn't it? Really? <laughs> yeah, yeah, cracker! I didn't know that. That's uh, yeah. so welcome into Christmas. Well, absolutely. Yeah. The positive is that they all had a truce, didn't they? Well, not all of them, no. No, not all of them. Oh, come on! <laughs> come on! Come on. <laughs> you want to read what the Grenadier I Guards mean, did? I could Christmas go on day. the Battle of Ardeen, you know, the Battle of the Bulge on the, on the December the 16th, where 2,000 tanks were arriving. But let's, let's look at the positive. <laughs> was like, I think there, was, there was 100 plus uh, combat casualties on Christmas Day in uh, 1914. Shocking, isn't it? Shocking, <laughs> it is shocking. Yeah. And, and, and this is what it wasn't a full truth. And this is what gets me when people are saying, you know, oh, I can't sit next to my daughter or whatever. You think, well, in the grand scheme of things, it's not that bad. Yeah, I mean, yes, indeed, indeed. T tell me all about the uh, the football match then, Alex, that took place between the trenches. <laughs> any 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 scant evidence for? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a couple of anonymous letters in newspapers. <laughs> there's so little you know, evidence. For it. We know who would have won Germany on penalties, obviously. <laughs> but uh... yeah, well, depending if they had a British captain of the company, yeah. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. Um, I think the pair is, is, there is something about a snowy battlefield, isn't there? When I, you won't remember meeting me, but I, I remember meeting you. You were a hero of mine back then when uh, you put on the, I think it was Freistadt. Yeah. The Joy of Six. Yeah. Um, with that snowy battlefield. Yeah, I'm quite happy with that. I'm not sure how it's aged, though. I'm scared of opening up because I used a lot of organic material for it, like, you know, moss, moss and thing, you know, to that I dyed with PVA glue and things. I'm just scared it's kind of been come alive in the box or something. 
Well, that, that brings a whole new uh, perspective to your mutant theme, Pat. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, you never know. You never know. So I'm going to take, I'm going to dust it off one day because I, I kind of want to, it's, it's, I spent relatively so much more time on that than anything else. And of course, skill wasn't the same, but I, I really put my heart into it and, and uh, I really enjoyed it. And there's some really weird use of uh, scenic water there under, uh, to create the ice effect, which kind of went kind of yellowish within two, three days. And I tried to frantically cover it up. Should have hacked it out, really, but we'll see. We'll see how it looks like. But yeah, that, that's quite a good one. Yeah. I remember that pair. I do remember that at the joystick. It was a good, it was a great one. It's a great one. I'm, I'm just waiting for somebody to come up with a joke about yellow snow, but uh, <laughs> you, you've all let me down. <laughs> His board turns yellow. Um, okay, uh, let's. Uh, that's that's great. That's a, a lovely look at uh, battles over the Christmas and festive period, or snowy battles, which always brings back uh, images of, of Yuletide. Um, let's have let's have a look a, a little glimpse. I know we're running a little bit long. I did warn you, gentlemen, that we might run slightly longer. To apologise if you've got. Uh, hot dates to get to or warm dinners that are in the oven waiting for you. Um, let's uh, just have a little glimpse into what we hope for in 2021. Uh, I think we all hope, obviously, that COVID will become a thing of the past and other issues that are affecting this nation of ours might get resolved one way or another. But let's just have a, a look at what projects maybe or things that we're looking to uh, hobby-related or uh, in in the year 2021, let's just have one from each of you, please, if you don't mind. Pear, have you got anything that is on the cards for yourself for 2021? I bought a 3D printer. Ooh, and uh, Ooh. it's been standing. Here. Yeah, it's been standing here doing shit all. Sorry for swearing, but uh, for <laughs> about four weeks or whatever. Uh, and uh, I really would like to get some time to kind of. I don't want to kind of just spend half an hour trying to set it up because I'm just scared I'll, I'll poison myself drinking resting or something. But I kind of want to, I want to spend a little bit of time to get that up and running. And and be, what I like with the 3D printer is because it's not you can't kind of well the model I have make massive things, but you know six millimeter stuff probably uh, it's brilliant to do it. I mean I have had you know. Uh, Paul Edwards helping me doing 3D prints. And really, I think he got tired of me asking him to print stuff. So he said to me, why don't you buy yourself your own? Yeah. Uh, and uh, so, uh, so that's what I'm, that's my kind of big project. And I want to kind of try to weave it out in, in, in trying to create something epic, you know, in terms of uh, my, my next little surprise idea, which is a great Northern war that I might have talked about with some, <laughs> you do surprise me, Pat. Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't know. So, so anyway, so really, I mean, for me, the end of this year. Thank you for the music. Will be the the fact that I uh, want to get into the three D printing. Yeah. Oh, good. Uh, is it a resin one or one of these uh, the other type? It's a resin one, so it's it's smelly, and I'm a little bit scared about that. So that's why I don't want to kind of get it going and then realize that I kind of. You know, it's not so much myself. I can I can live with with 
with the poison. I'm just scared that the family will be a little bit, you know, painting painting uh, with Vallejo paints doesn't really smell, you know. So so I, I don't don't want to introduce the hobby with a negative, you know, by it all smelling resin everywhere, yeah. Well, it's interesting this um, the developments of this three D printing. I've got a friend who's who's got the other kind. I don't know what it's called actually, but it's um, it's it's the non resin version. But um, I don't know if any of you are aware of the YouTube channel Project Wargaming. Uh, a guy called Aaron. Yeah, he's, yeah. He's due on the show in the new year. He sent me over a few samples um, of the samurai figures that he's been working on and uh, some snake fencing, actually, for my Civil War project. Uh, and it's, it's really good. It is really good. It's, it's a in, really interesting development, I think, in, into the future of the hobby. But you know you can make your snake, those fences, with uh, very thin spaghetti as well, yeah? Oh, God. Do you know, I've been rocking my bleeding brains about how to do uh that and i do remember seeing it on your blog years ago uh, i can send gonna... them to you i will never use them i'll send them to you and you you can have them well i do short for making fences out of spaghetti <laughs> <laughs> because it's it's much cheaper than buying a plastic truck or whatever it's called or it's true, it's uh, true metal rods yeah it's not an american civil war battle if it's not got yards and yards of snake fencing on absolutely yeah do you know gm um gm board games do a lovely little resin uh snake fence uh that's right they're the guys who 3d print aren't they uh their figures the um from poland sorted me out with a load of them actually when i was doing the gettysburg thing but uh, they're lovely they're lovely how many how many layers are there? Kind of how many logs or whatever you call uh, it? Is it, is it? Three, I think it's three or four. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Uh, I'm looking at these now. These are four on the ones that Aaron sent over from Project Wargaming. Well, then then they are better than mine. One one level better than my handmade one in spaghetti. Yeah. They don't taste as good as pears. <laughs> it depends what kind of sauce you put with them, I suppose. But uh... yeah. Yeah, you just blow up the static grass and get at it. That's no problem. Yeah. <laughs> uh, right. Thank you. I'll I'll look forward to uh, whatever it is that you come up with there, Pear. Um, Dan, what what project or wargaming related thing are you looking forward to in the year twenty twenty one? Did you say project or projects? Uh, well, you can go through multiple. That's fine. Yeah. So basically, I'll be I'll be finishing the Sudan project that I've done the, the cartoon and hopefully sh- showcasing that uh, uh, Hammerhead, which has changed the date now, and it's um, I think it's in July. It was March, so I had a bit of a um, a panic on to finish everything. But uh, it's given me a few more months to paint more dervishes so i'll be uh i'll be doing the sedan project at hammerhead um i'll be doing the little big horn battle hopefully at joy of six i mean we've not talked about that but bacchus the new range of um the new range there that's coming out is lovely and pony wars yeah pony wars range. i've been lucky that i uh Peter asked me to paint some of the stuff, so I've had a, a sort of, um, you know, before before release date 
and I've seen the figures and the wagon, everything. It's a lovely little range, that. So I'll be doing that. Um, oh, it's just, it's just so much to be done. I mean, Sudan, I'm, I'm trying to write the rules for. They don't like it often. Um, yeah, they don't like it often. Little, little Big Horn, I'm doing Counting Coop, which uh, I'll be adapting the rules from the um, Hordes and Heroes again, the Calestia, because I'm, you know, the Hex thing. Uh, that, that that makes things quicker. Projects for, I mean, next year, I'm, I'm really excited. I've just ordered, and I got a text, no, not a text, an email today from um, Charles Roundtree to tell me that the uh, All Hell Let Loose has been uh, dispatched. I'm very excited about the World War Two rules there. Uh, I think have you have you been playtesting them? I haven't been playtesting, but I do have a copy um, of, of the rules that have been <laughs> sent through for uh, a little review, which will be coming up. I think David, the uh, the the author, is he, he, I think he's got a Polish sounding name that I'm not going to try and. Uh, pronounced. I'm really excited about those actually for next year. So I've I've had a, a sort of World War Two DJ and also the Arnhem campaign on a back burner for a number number of years really. Um, I've just been looking for some rules that I could use at a show or, and uh, I think all hell let loose is going to be the one. So. I'm excited about that. I think they might fit the bill down, definitely. Yeah, and I've also um, just ordered, and I know he's been on a couple of times, Peter Riley's um, Building Rules for Wargaming. Yes. Which is great, actually. I read that, and I thought, this is ticking all the boxes for me. And it uses the sort of hex on terrain to speed things up. It's a, it's a sort of... Um, at a show game, participation game basis. And my next project for 2021, uh, I'll finish Sudan, I'll finish the little big horn, um, and I'll, I'm going to start the Gettysburg. I've, I've done the battlefield. I know that's a thing that you're into, isn't it, Sean? So I've done the battlefield. Definitely. Yeah, I've done the battlefield. I've... Um, I've been in touch with uh, Mr. Locke at Adler, and uh, so that's going to be the big thing for 2021, I think, is um, is getting the Gettysburg. I'm, I'm trying to do it on a scale that I did the Waterloo game, but hopefully it won't take me nine years to finish. I'll crack on. Um, so there's all sorts of things, really. So, yeah, there's the Sudan the cartoon game, there's the Battle of the Little Big Horn, Pony Wars that I'm doing with um, with Peter, and uh, then there's All Hell Let Loose with Charles and David, and then there's the Building Rules with Gaming with Peter, really. That's 2021. You're going to be pretty busy by the sound of it. Probably, yeah. Yeah, I think so. One thing, guys, on on uh, talking about Peter Riley's rules, mm. uh, he also wanted to 
hidden it's a hidden gem there as well, which I recommend anyone who's interested in tanks to check out, and that's his fire and move armor rules. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's kind of platoon based tank combat, and uh, my son kind of plays it and and uh it's kind of said he's looking forward to have a game with me he said they were really good so you know believe it from a 12 year old reading a set of rules thinking they are brilliant that's uh that's a good recommendation i think so we're going to play that in the next few days so bought him a set peter peter riley really has he's, he's got his finger on the pulse i remember when i first went the first ever joy six show i did i did a zulu war game i did as and one actually uh, and we used peter's rules there um which hadn't been published and never have been actually but um they're brilliant and he he's he's very much the same sort of lines as me he's, he's got the hexes he speeds it up it's all for a participation game and um yeah, so I can recommend those building rules for gaming. They're generic. You can use them for any period. Um, great stuff. Never never having been a rule writer myself, I've, I've picked up the uh, the core book, the building yeah. rules for battles, yeah. and the uh, big horn uh, pack as well um, and never having written rules myself it's something that has really piqued my interest uh, and again I think I've, t- I've mentioned this before about trying to do Rourke's Drift with it so uh, that's that's something that I'll, I'll be looking at but yeah I, I really like the work Peter's done It's and Pear I think he's actually starting on the infantry uh, side of things now as well to go along with the, the armour rules that he's written Yeah I like it because I've I, I read I read some of the stuff, and and as you say, that there is, I have had the pleasure of reading his unpublished uh, War of the Roses rules as well, and uh, which are equally fantastic. Uh, and, uh, you know, so he's kind of a, a hidden gem, and I'm really happy that he's kind of getting out there a little bit more, Peter, with these rules because it's back to this thing that Peter has this intense knowledge. I mean, like fire drill, etc. We used to talk about. Uh, you know, colonial times, etc., and so on, and, and how they were fighting. And I'm talking about, of course, the British colonial, not the Dark Age colonial era, but uh, in in terms of how uh, how how they fought, etc. And it's that same level of engagement you get when you listen to someone like Richard Clark and so on. Someone actually doesn't create necessarily, you know, games based on you know, rolling a few dice and then hoping that someone dies on the other side, but actually tries to recreate something in, yeah. a, in, a, in a fun but but realistic way, you know. And that's, I, I like that. I warmed, warmed, warmed to yeah. that. You know? I mean, I think the whole focus is obviously on the whole participation game, isn't it? You know, that's, yeah. he picks a battle, uh, say Little Big Horn, for instance. He, he won a, uh, I think he won Best in Show at, Partisan for that, didn't he? Salute, uh, salute it was. Yeah, salute was it. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's great. That's the, that's the sort of thing we want to do, really. I mean, um, I've, I've tweaked the sort of rules a bit. Tweaked the rules um, for the uh, for the little big horn. I've called it. Um, well, I've got counting coop. Mountain Coop. Very thematic. 
Yeah. I've also done uh, A Good Day to Die, which is the sort of um, the Pony Wars. Pony Wars. I mean, the, the Native Americans, they were all about counting sheep. Um, the U.S. cavalry it was all about the diehard, wasn't it? You know, how are you gonna, how are you gonna, how are you gonna do that? I've seen how you've done that, Dan. That's... <laughs> the fact, despite the fact, Sean, that I've had, I have had COVID, and so is my partner. It's still a wonderful life. <laughs> it is. It is. I agree. I agree. Uh, Dan, thank you. Thank you for, for thank you for that peek into uh, the life of uh, yourself in, in the in the year twenty twenty one. And uh, well played, sir. Well played. Oh, yeah, um, welcome. I'm going to do Gettysburg just to just to, uh, to pique your interest. I know that's your bag. Gettysburg, <laughs> Adler figures. That's going to be twenty twenty one. I'll look forward to that. I'll look forward to your progress on that. No doubt you'll get it knocked out in about six months. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Uh, Alex, Alex, uh, tell me about 2021. Well, for me, it's it's pretty, pretty simple, to be honest. I'm, I'm probably just going to be concentrating on growing my YouTube channel. That's going to be my overall project. Uh, just see where that takes me. Again, just to go back to the YouTube stuff, that's, that's about it, really. Um, I've got some ideas for doing some more World War Two and expanding it into Western theatres. I want to do some Italian campaign stuff. I've already started building up some British 15 mil figures for that. So I've got a few bits and pieces I'm adding to that as we go along. Uh, also looking again back at Malaya is uh, my another particular favourite of mine when it comes to uh, wargaming. So I've been adding some more Indians for that recently. So, yeah, it's just... See where where my fancy takes me, I guess. At this point, like I say, it's, uh, I don't like to set goals. I just I like to to meander along within within the parameters of the uh, of the hobby that I like. You know, <laughs> I think sometimes it's good good not to have those plans, isn't it? And just go where because obviously obviously we're we're talking about plans for next year, but they can change. You know, by you can have the plan at breakfast time, and then by lunchtime, you're on to something completely different. Exactly, exactly. I mean, I'm not really a wargaming butterfly. I kind of stick within the uh, the the wars that I'm interested in, uh, and I try not to get too distracted by lots of different projects. But I can have a you know a bit of an overall idea of what I want to do. But like you say, just you know, things change so quickly anyway. You never really know, do you? You know. I want to play more solo games on on uh, on the YouTube channel, really, and show off different rules. That's kind of where my head is at the moment. That's what's taking me. That's what's taking my fancy, anyway. Well, uh, I look forward to uh, more uh, battles uh, next year. It should be great. I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed the Malaya campaign. I thought that was brilliant. Um, and if you if you're moving into the Arden then uh, as well, then uh, I'll look forward to that. Well, that one's a one-off. I mean, it might be more Italy. I think might be my next my next campaign That'd to look at. Yeah, yeah. Just quickly, uh, my own project for next year. Um, I posted quite a bit about my American Civil War project, which is I've it's it's really tanked along at quite a pace really i hadn't really done much on it up until the middle of october 
uh, virtually nothing actually but since October, middle of October to now I've painted close on 2000 figures which um, it's been a real bonus again of the lockdown period not that I've been at home I've, I've been working through lockdown but uh, with having no club and no other activities so then, then it's really allowed me to concentrate and, and focus in on the project so I'm really pleased that I've managed to get through those figures I picked up a few Abladan um, so that tissue paper that comes with the figures resonates with me I think the the lovely sculpts and there's a lot of animation in those figures isn't there that uh, is really appealing I've also picked up a few rapier miniatures um, just for a bit of variety in the artillery crews really with the, the Bacchus ones but they're, they're very nice as well and uh, to be highly recommended uh, but next year it will be uh, once once this game's uh, once the figures are, are painted for this project, the Antietam project, then uh, it's full steam ahead for uh, my SOM game, which hopefully will be at the Joy of Six, if all being well, if, if the show goes ahead. So I've got the vast majority of the figures ready for that. I've got plans on how to do the scenery. Um, I've got the trenches from Timecast, uh, which Robert Dunlop uh, has got. Uh, huge amounts of uh, and really taught me around or persuaded me that that's the way to go with the trenches so uh, I've been enjoying doing the research on that but come the new year I really want to get stuck into getting paint onto figures for that okay gentlemen um, that's most of the schedule done actually uh, but I just wonder if we could have uh, the last few minutes of this episode just talking in in the any other business section of the schedule i sent through it's really open for discussion but um i don't know if all of you are aware of the re, uh, the news that came out yesterday from warlord games about uh, their new epic scale figures uh, in plastic and they've gone for the american civil war oh yes i'm very aware of that i know i know you are alex <laughs> we've communicated um in uh, in a scale which is somewhere between 12 and 15 mil uh there's, there's a little bit of debate because nobody's actually got any of these sprues in the hands yet but they're certainly looking closer to the calistra figures uh in the, the sort of 12 mil scale mm. range but in, in plastic uh per, have you seen any of this yeah yeah i have and uh, i'll tell you what it's like uh, they're like big Warmaster miniatures because yeah. they seem to be kind of uh, produced in the same way as the kind of a, a wall of figures. That's uh, right. And uh, I'll tell you what, I'm kind of, I don't know what scale they are, etc. like everyone else. Uh, interesting. Uh, you know, I, I think it will be helped by the fact that I think if you pick up Wargames Illustrated, this month you get uh as you know uh, to try them out so to speak yeah uh, again they they seem to sell a big set you get you know we talked about the fences you get fences a little house and and uh you know if you have the stamina to paint them all you know you have a uh a, a battle ready force and so on so i mean my immediate thing is that uh you know it's a it's a new thing you know and it will you know they have a big you know, uh, customer base, uh, Warlord, that, you know, they they managed to get people to play 
World War II inspired game, you know, bolt action, uh, and uh, perhaps, you know, it's it's a it's a good thing for historical wargaming from that point of view. Uh, and and but then you could argue, you know, well, the scale, etc., will we fit with existing and so on? Can I buy this to to kind of uh, you know build up my army and so on? But price wise, I mean, if you look at the price for it, it's uh, it's very you know the price is not very high, you know, in the sense of can build quite a big army with uh, I don't know what the unit price is but you get quite a lot of army for 100 quid yeah it works out some I was trying to do some sums on it it's it's slightly difficult because the sprue comes with 100 infantry um a gun with crew and a mounted commander uh, on each sprue um it works out somewhere in the region of 6 or 7 pence a figure uh, which is obviously six mil prices. Um, Dan, have you have you picked up on on this development? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's it's all over Facebook at the minute. In the last couple. It is, yeah, yeah. And I don't know. I'm not, I'm not convinced. I'm not convinced. So Callistra, I know Paul Callistra. He's been on the show. He does a beautiful range of twelve mil. Metal, you can buy five packs, you get a six pack free. It's the same, similar sort of price. They're all metal, you know, metal miniatures. I'm, I'm a bit old school in the, I'm not into the plastic. I can see, I can see why people love it, and they, they, they're sort of marketing it as epic. Well, why don't you just go for Adler or Bacchus if you're going to go for epic? You can get more. <laughs> it's going to look more epic. I just but so there's all those sort of negatives about it, if you want to call it negatives. But there's also the positive that okay, let's get people away from the 28 mil. Let's get them smaller scale. Let's get them into this epic, as they call it, battle. Um, so that's going to be a good thing. But you know, it's a bit like the Perry, the sort of Perry, sort of Waterloo thing. It's, it's. I don't know. I'm not. I'm not convinced by it really. But then I'm old school. <laughs> I'm old. I don't want to be negative. It's just an old thought. I don't want to be negative about it. I think it's great. Okay, let's let rewind. It's brilliant, Sean. It's absolutely. <laughs> I told you I'm not editing. <laughs> it's, absolutely, it's absolutely brilliant. We've got a small scale. I'm all for the small scale. You know, people are finally turning on to the small scale. You can have a, a bigger battle with a smaller scale. And if that's what you bring to the masses, then that's brilliant. And hopefully then look at Bacchus and they'll look at Adler and go, actually, there's more detail on an Adler 6 mil figure than a a 13.5 mil, you know, figure in plastic. Um, I just like the weight of a metal figure. I'm just old school. Yeah, there's nothing wrong, there's nothing wrong with uh, confessing to being old school. Old, uh, I, yeah, there's, there's room for us all. Um, Alex, <laughs> Alex, um, I know that uh, we've we've been involved in, in the same discussions, haven't we, over over Twitter? 
Yeah, I posted it on Twitter. I was because I, I, my first thought was, well, this is fantastic. They, they, there's a good chance that they're going to be doing Napoleonics, which I'm more interested in than the ACW. Yeah, uh, I'd be more than happy to start doing plastic Napoleonics because I'm surprised that nobody's done it in 15 mil. Yeah, you know, it's it's crying out for it. Um, I'm assuming they're doing ACW to test the market. In the first instance, and I think that I've noticed elsewhere, people are talking that this, there's there's rumours that they're going to be doing other periods in this for their uh, what is it? It's, it's um, uh, black powder, isn't it? Yeah. But the the amount of people that have fallen on this, I mean, it's really it's much ado about nothing when it comes to the scale, uh, because you know it's it's. There's so many people saying, "Oh, you know, it's, it, they, they've they've said on their their website that it's 15 mil, and it's 30.5 from foot to eye or something, which is the same scale as, as Peter Pig, which who's been selling their stuff for, as 15 mil for the last well 30 years, yeah, uh, and nobody's complained. Uh, you know, then you've got this Callistra thing; they seem to fit with those. I'm fairly certain if you mix them with some other 15 mil figures on a table, you're just not going to notice you know, from the three-foot rule that most of us adhere to. Uh, to me, I just think it's it's a great way, like Dan said there, of getting people interested in other scales because I'd say a lot of Warlord's base customers are 28 mil gamers because of bolt action and because of um, black powder. And I'd, I'd also argue that probably a lot of the people that play purely Warlord stuff don't know much about other scales. So for them to enter, introduce something else that people can buy. And again, all right, it might not fit with other existing uh, scales, but there was a point when 6 mil didn't exist. You know, and the first person to have done that must have, maybe they got the same amount of, 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 of abuse, you know, that uh, warlords seem to be drawing about the fact they'd done a different scale, you know. And... Uh, is it Vitrix? They just started doing Town Mill World, World War Two. Twelve, 12. Yeah. twelve. It's twelve. Yeah. yeah. So it's you know, there's a precedent that has already been set for these smaller, smaller-ish scales. So I, you know, I don't really see see a particular issue in them coming up with a new scale. That you know, they they they're a business. They want to sell figures to people. So why not make it exclusive to to their own business? That's what I think. You know, and the more if it gets more people into the hobby then i'm all for it i don't care it doesn't matter you know you're not you're not, you're not yeah. forced to buy them, are you at the end of the day you know they you know there will be somebody that will buy them might not be me might not be you might not be any any of us in this chat but there will be people that buy them and if they're new people to the hobby then that's a that's something uh, a box is ticked from as far as i'm concerned bravo yeah i think yeah, absolutely. And if it in, if it helps the recruitment of people into historical gaming, away from, uh, Warlords have done a, a great job, haven't they? Let's make no bones about it. Um, from, I'm not sure how long they've been going, but I can remember them releasing their first Imperial Roman box set, um, and them having a, a tiny little stand at Partizan. Uh, to where they are now with dozens of plastic box sets of his, historical figures, which, let's face it, I'm, I'm not a big fan of the plastics myself. However, 
uh, it's brought the cost down. Um, yeah. yeah. About the same for a 28 mil plastic figure as I was 20 or 30 years ago, playing, playing for a, a metal Dixon uh, American Civil War figure. Um, so, so that is great. And this idea of a game in a box as well, it's ideal. You don't need to go anywhere else. You've got something like two and a half thousand figures of me in, in the box. It's crazy. And that's the thing. I mean, there's a lot in there and people have been saying, oh, well, you know, how would you ever paint those in, you know, a lifetime? Uh, already, the, the club that I joined recently, uh, a local club, they've been talking about putting together for it. Yeah. So therefore, you know, you get six people. A, it's only costing them like, what, 20 or 30 quid each for yeah. a big 170 quid starter set. And then everybody paints them. Yeah. And once you're, you know, you're breaking it down then, it's like, it sounds like two two 2,400 figures is a lot split between four and I've painted over a thousand fifty mil figures this year, my own. You know, it's a doable thing. It's a big job, but it's doable. And if, yeah, if I think I made the point that it, it, you know, if it takes you ten minutes to paint one figure, then it'll take you five hundred hours or something. But these are moulded together, aren't they? And I think you made the comment if you treat one strip of ten figures that are moulded together as it's probably the equivalent of a twenty-eight mil figure, isn't it? I guess of the same surface area. Absolutely, I think, and and you know they they lend themselves to to a lot of washing. Basically, you yeah. know they put block colours on and wash them because they're on mass. You're not looking at detail. No, no, and uh, you know these are these are things that we've talked about in the past. But um, yeah, it, it's an interesting development. It is. I mean, oh, absolutely. I think it's. I think it's all positive because it's get, getting people into a smaller scale. I mean, I'm a, you know, I'm a figure painter so for me he doesn't tick the box but for a lot of people who just want to get some figures painted and on the table and have a game then they are well that's the thing as well. the, thing. the fact that they're actually molded, they're molded in grey and yeah. blue plastic you, you don't have to paint them I mean most of us would probably bulk of that idea you know we're all painters and we all want painted figures on the table but you could literally get them out of the box and have them playing that afternoon if you wanted to. absolutely just one point that and i i think i've i've converted to into the into the positive column on this i was certainly on the wire i think on the fence <laughs> a little bit yeah um, to be honest but just just one point it seems an interesting decision to market them as a hundred figure regiments that's just i mean that i've never heard of that before you know even in six mil um a hundred figure regiments is is a odd it just seems an odd choice but we are so we're so ingrained as war gamers into thinking in things of fours we all do i mean i you know backers come in strips of fours yeah. why don't they come in fives what's yeah. the difference yeah you know want the tens uh it's all it is. It's just we're so ingrained in in doing things in fours that we all think it's weird. Whereas, you know, a hundred men in a regiment sounds about right. To be honest, yeah, <laughs> yeah you're absolutely right there. Absolutely right. And, uh, and the thing about the the whole Adler miniatures, you've got to split them, the single figures, the base them, and that gives you more. Somehow it just gives you more options. 
I love, I love backers. I love backers. I've got so many backers for this. You know, Peter is brilliant. But yeah, it's, it's that sort of, it's just fitting it in, isn't it? Well, that's it. I mean, my, yeah, my backers, my backers um, brigades are 16 men. Why yeah. are there 16 men? Yeah, you know, why, why isn't it like yeah, four by four? Yeah. Why is it? You know, it doesn't matter how many men are no. in because it's just a ratio, isn't it? It is, and that's really. what I love about the whole building rules for gaming battles by Peter Riley because it it doesn't matter how many people you've got in a. It's that concept of a base, a little base. It doesn't matter how big the base is, forty by twenty. 30 by 60 if you back us. It doesn't matter. It's just that's what a unit is. And that's what I like about the, the Peter Riley rules is that you can just make them up. It, it, yes. Uh, yeah. It, I, I think as being a, one of the on the older side of uh, the wargaming demographic, it it's just not something I've seen before. I've never seen figures advertised where you would collect them in regiments of 100 figures. It's just mind-blowing to me to think that the figures that I've been painting for my 6 mil project, uh, they've got probably 28 figures on the base, so three of those uh, roughly is, is the equivalent. But that's that's 10 strips of figures, which I suppose is the equivalent of painting 10 28 mil figures. Potentially, uh, I don't know. It's, it's just a mindset, I think. It is. We for some reason we just have this ingrained idea that everything should be in fours. You know, and everything is multi a multiple of four, which I suppose hundred is anyway, because you know, <laughs> this is a, there's a twenty five fours in in a hundred, so it's only like doing it like that, really. These are in multiples of ten, which is like you say is odd. He's just he doesn't conform to that, does it? No, no, not at all. But I don't see why it shouldn't. You know, why? It sh why does it have to conform to? You'd, you'd think, okay, there should be eight men there, I guess. But why should it be eight men? Why shouldn't it be ten? Absolutely. This is the, this is the thing, Sean. I mean, I I put the back of strips up into six. I don't, I'm not into eight. <laughs> well, yes, each to their own, I guess. <laughs> That's weird. <laughs> Shall I tell you what's weird? Go on. Let, let me tell you something weird. Go People on. who base their figures before they paint. <laughs> what is all that? I'm joking, Alex. I'm joking. Right, I'm leaving. <laughs> no, I, I just, I just uh, it's an interesting topic of discussion because yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's, it, for me, it's a game changer that Warlord have got the faith uh, in because moulding. Plastic figures is very expensive, isn't it? It's hugely expensive. Oh, it's a massive outlay, absolutely massive. And they, they've obviously got confidence in this product. Mm. Um, and there's this real splash release of, uh, that I think they sell brigade boxes, there's the £90 box and then the £180 all-in thing with the Gettysburg MDF buildings in it. And they look fantastic, absolutely. They look fantastic. I'm a little bit perturbed by the blue the sky blue cuffs on the confederate uniforms but i'll i'll let that pass i won't, I won't be too much of a, a pedant over that but uh I, the, it looks fantastic and i think for a starter into historical gaming then it, it's going to be difficult to beat i think that i think that sean is 
is exactly the market they're they're trying to buy into. I mean, you know, you go to Adler, for instance, in six mil, it's a nightmare, really, isn't it? The website and all, you know, it's not it's not that sort of one box. You just buy it and then it's there, and that's what yeah. people want. People want that one box. I want the rules. I want the figures. I want everything just easy. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, hundred percent. I agree with. That. I mean, you know, we're all old sweats. We know yeah. where to go to get things. But if you're new to the hobby, you've got no idea where to. I don't think it's just knowing where it is. It's also the kind of the time it takes to do it because you know modern people, well, whatever they are, uh, are more are more kind of used to just clicking on something and it kind of appears, you know. Uh, and you know, for me, I, I take great pleasure in kind of going through codes or whatever, and I'm having five of those and eight of those and seven of those, whatever. But I. People who just can't be asked, you know, just give it to me now, you know. And and I think, and and to me, when I look at that box, it's very much like that. And of course, what everyone knows, once you painted two thousand five hundred or something, you're not going to swap scale, are you? Really? So you're kind of going to then buy the next box, which might not be yeah, as, yeah, exactly. as price favorable, you know, when you're going to buy, you know, whatever. But you know, that's the whole idea. But I think I think you know what stems for that is that there'll be nice, you know. Marching armies on the field that you know will, will be the thing, and it will open up the eyes, as we say, to the smaller scales. Because, oh, yeah, because for me, yeah, exactly. For me, the, the still what worries me sometimes is the fact that this myopia, whatever I call it, or narrow mindedness, where I painted 10, 28 mil, now I can't change scale, yeah. But why yeah. not use my 10 figures to do my skirmishes with, or 50 or whatever? But then stop it there, you know, and then actually do something bigger when you want to do the battle. It's this general idea: you, I'm going to paint fifty, and I'm going to paint another eight thousand one day of twenty-eight mils, and hopefully put it out. Why not just use for what it is? You know, big battle. You know, I have my six mil, smaller battle. I have twenty-eight mil. It's this kind of like, you know, uh, putting yourself into some kind of dependency just because you might have to buy a few more trees in different scales i don't buy that argument really uh, you know i i just rather people just look a little bit wider you know i'm with you i'm with you yeah yeah it's it's an interesting development and it'll be very interesting to see how uh, the the hobby react to it once it's out there in the marketplace and certainly once shows are back on the scene uh, to see whether or not we're seeing these on the, on the tables at shows and demo games. And as you said, Alex, your own club uh, have, have already stated an interest in it. So uh, that, that can only be a good thing. Yeah, absolutely. Gentlemen, it's, we're, I'm, I'm somewhat over the hour mark. I do apologise. <laughs> It's it's just a little bit. So you have to send the invoices through uh, for your, your typical hourly rate. Sean, there is. Can I just say one thing? Yeah, that is that. This is the third time on this show, and and I have listened to all your shows now, and a lot of people have left books in your library. Yeah, and I haven't done that yet because the first time you hadn't done it, and the second time, I think we we kind of were glad it was over because we had some issues with reception that night. That's right, we did. 
so can I can I put a book in your library, please? Of course you can. Yes, that's not a euphemism, is it? No, 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 not at all. <laughs> I, thought, I thought Dan would say something like that. Not you, Sean, but never mind. Anyway, so anyway, so what I want to park in your garage, but anyway, is uh, uh, is the Poltava book by a, a chap called Peter Anglund, and it was written in. 1988, and I think the title in English, because it was translated, is The Battle That Shook Europe. And uh, it's basically about, well, the Poltava Battle, 1709. It is beautifully written by Peter Englund, who, you know, after that, he's, uh, he's now actually a specialist. And I think I shared a book with you that he had written about World War II. World War, I, World War One, sorry. World War One. I, I was just about to say that name rings a bell. Is it the yeah. same guy? Yeah. yeah. He, and he's become one of Sweden's kind of, uh, you know, I, I would say best uh, kind of historical writers, uh, and he writes fantastic kind of. Uh, now, what he specializes is small stories about, you know, things, etc. In in the bigger scene, and he did a series where he wrote one book for every year of World War One. But Poltava, which is Peter Anglund, is his name. He's actually one of the members of this, the academy that uh, decides who gets the Nobel Prize in Literature on the basis of his historical kind of writing. And the book is beautifully written. And even in, you know, translated into English, that, that kind of great writing shines through. And it's, it's a book about a horrendous battle that goes really badly for the Swedes. But it's, it's my favorite book. And I read it three, four times. Uh, you know, uh, my dad bought this copy I have in front of me, and he bought it to me, and he says, I hope you, you get some use of it, and it's from 1988. And I really did, you know, and uh, yeah. one of the books I really, really love and cherish. It's been remiss of me, actually, Pear, because uh, I didn't realise that I'd never included you in a in a deposit into my uh, onto my bookshelves. Well, well, I have had a little grudge about it for, for some time. So, yeah. <laughs> There's an irony to it because I've, I've often thought of looking out for a, a, a good read on the Great Northern War, and there's not an awful lot out there in the English language outside of the Osprey field, is there? No. Well, what you then want to do? So, what I want to say, if you if it's for Great Northern War in general, then this is a great book, but. Helion, if you're, you know, Helion Books, yeah, uh, they have several titles now, which is a recent one came out about Charles the Twelfth. That's more like an overview of the battles. Helion has done some amazing stuff, and and I think they're kind of becoming like the, I don't know, they they're a little bit like Osprey, but uh, I don't know, better feels more boutique to some degree. Right, yeah. Uh, in that sense. Uh, maybe it's it's wrong, and I, I don't want to slag Osprey off, but Osprey perhaps is, is bigger, kind of the the mega shop, and I feel Helion is, still has that little bit of uh, new on the block, and try, the quality is, is slightly different. Varied? Yeah. Well, great. Thanks for that. Uh, what, one thing I would, I'm going to try and do before the new year, or very early in the new year, is collate all of the uh, suggestions that people left and and make that available somewhere. Alex, Dan, have you got anything you'd like to drop into my box or on my shelf? Or oh yes, I, I I mean for Christmas, I don't buy figures. I don't get figures for Christmas. 
but I do get books. And so for the the I've been doing the Pony Wars, as you know, and the book that I've read really that is brilliant. I'm gonna to have to read it again because it's it's got so much information in it. It's the strategy of defeat at the Little Bighorn, and that's military timing analysis of the battle. And he's got the best name. It's Frederick C. Wagner the Third. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And if you're going to do the Battle of the Little Bighorn, which I am going to do, that is the book to have. Excellent. I shall put that in the show notes and a link and uh, look it out because it's something I've been looking into a little bit myself, I have to say. Quickly, just quickly, um, a sort of nostalgic book is The Battle of the Little Bighorn by Custer's Last Hand, that's Ladybird. I, had oh, that I saw one. your pictures of that. Yeah, I had that when I was six. And surprisingly, it's very accurate. Is it? Yeah, it is. It is. You, you read a lot. Of, I've read a lot of books about the Little Big Horn, but the uh, Ladybird book is pretty, pretty on it. I'm sure I had that as a kid, or it was certainly in the school library. Yeah. Uh, that that picture on the on the front cover really brought back a lot of memories. So. Uh, the text, I used to know every word of it, but really, yeah. But the <laughs> illustrations, when you see the pictures again, it really brings it out. Yeah, I'll uh, I'll look forward to looking those up. They shall be added to the library. Alex, anything from you? Uh, I have one. Um, I gave last time. I gave you um, Gary Sheffield's book, didn't I? You um, did, yes. I'm going to give you another one that's First World War along the same lines. This one's by Dan Todman. It's The Great War, Myth and Memory. Uh, I think it's based on Dan Todman's PhD thesis, but he basically goes through various themes about the, the First World War and how it's perceived uh, through these various lenses. So basically how the war was seen in the immediate aftermath of the war, then how it changed in the 30s, and then again how it changed in the 60s with the Lions and the Donkeys, and also uh, how various veterans have helped shape modern perceptions of the war. All these different bits and pieces, and I think it's probably my favourite book. It's really good, really well written. Uh, there are quite a few uh, droll jokes in there, and it's well worth seeking out. It's a good it's just a good read to see how how we perceive, in particular, the First World War, but also just how we perceive military history as well. Uh, you know, if you think of it as a as a, a wider thing, you know, just how we how we we view various different battles and different wars and 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 the the issues behind them from a public's point of view. It's it's um, it's very eye opening. Like I said, it's probably my favourite book. It's well worth. Well worth a place on your shelf, I think. Excellent. That will take pride of place then alongside Pears and Dan's book. Gentlemen, it's been a marathon. Goodness me. <laughs> I, I really appreciate uh, all three of you taking out uh, such a chunk of your evening this close to Christmas. Um, it, it's been a great chat. Just before we sign off, I just want to mention to listeners that there is the inaugural God's Own Scale competition 
I've never had a competition. It might just be a Christmas thing. I might do this as an annual thing at Christmas. There's two excellent prizes, one of which came in hot off the press during this recording of this podcast where I received the conf- uh, confirmation email. Um, there's So uh, I'll tell you what the how to enter, but the prizes, there's two prizes, so there'll be two names drawn out of the hat for people who enter. Uh, but one, there's not a first or second prize. Both are of equal uh, standing, uh, certainly in my eyes. But uh, two names will be drawn out. Uh, the first name out of the hat will win a six by four gaming mat from Tiny Wargaming, who've kindly uh, donated one for the quiz. Uh, so that will be in whatever shades uh, or, or color that you wish uh, to have. Um, and the other one is a £25 gift voucher for Bacchus figures. Um, so thank you to both of those companies, to Bacchus and to Tiny Wargaming for sponsoring the inaugural Christmas competition. And to win that Christmas competition, you may have heard during this podcast with these three, three fine, upstanding A-list Wargaming guests that I've entertained you for the last nigh on three hours. Um, but each have uh, included in their conversations or dropped into the conversation references, uh, popular cultural references, let's call them that. Um, one is for ABBA songs, one is for Shakespeare plays, and one is for popular films. So I hope you're all listening because you might have needed to know this information at the start of the podcast, I guess, but you're going to have to go back and listen. Uh, So there's nine references in there. It's a bit of a toughie, I admit, but uh, if I could have entries through to my email address of godsownscale at gmail.com, and it is the 21st today of December, so... Uh, I'll give you the Christmas festivity time uh, to get through that. And let's say closing date is going to be the 21st of January. And whatever is the first show after the 21st of January, we will do the draw and there will be two lucky winners uh, for that inaugural competition. Um, Gentlemen, uh, again, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for participating and uh making me laugh my socks off uh, certainly your efforts to get those references into your answers it was uh, it was most creative and i think uh, you all deserve a big pat on the back um i hope you all have a happy merry and safe christmas and new year so alex uh, thank you to you well thank you sean thanks for having me and and thanks for the other two guys as well it's been great to chat to you all yeah, it's been it's been great, hasn't it? Uh, thank you uh, to Per. I don't know if you can wish us Merry Christmas in in Swedish. Uh, good Jul. Uh, uh, thanks, thanks uh, for inviting me. And, and also, guys, we I think we could do this maybe over a few beers sometime when when it it's allowed, uh, you know, and safe to do so. So I, I really enjoy the company this evening. Thank you. Well, if if we um, if Drove Six is on, I think all four of us are intending to be there by the sounds of it. So we'll certainly share a coffee and a slice of cake. I think, uh, and and Dan, thank you to you. Oh, you're welcome. I'd love to um, 
see you all at the Joy of Six 2021. Yes, here, here to that. Um, on that note, uh, gentlemen, thank you once again. Thank you to the listeners for listening. Thank you. This is likely to be the last show of the year. Uh, there might be a bit of a retrospective uh, solo thing I put out between Christmas and New Year, but this is likely to be the last show of the year. Uh, thank you to all the listeners. Thank you for all the downloads. Thank you for all the positive feedback that I've received on the podcast from around the world. Thank you to all my listeners in the Democratic Republic of Congo. Um, there's been numerous downloads uh, in the DRC, uh, so uh, I keep an eye on those downloads in particular. Um, thank you in particular to my patrons or my patriots, as I call them, uh, for keeping the lights on in the God's Own Scale studio. Uh, it's been a great year. Um, I, I must make special mention to Pear and Peter Berry for encouraging me back onto the airwaves to continue this podcast it's been <laughs> it's been a great uh, part of this year for me um and getting these 18 episodes out uh since then uh, I've, I've enjoyed every single guest thank you to all the guests who've come onto the show uh during this year uh without you the podcast doesn't happen um so i think that probably just leaves me to say uh merry christmas and a happy new year to the guests uh to the listeners and Hopefully, see you in the new year. Merry Christmas. Merry, Merry, Merry Christmas. Christmas. Merry Christmas. <laughs> <laughs>